The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 251 Breakdown with Fernanda Prates. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work, you can find at MMAJunkie.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because at least this portion of the podcast being recorded Wednesday night, visual with the guests, not the format you're used to uh, seeing, that is, if you're watching this, although thank you, people on Apple Podcasts. Of course, I've got Fernanda Prates from The Athletic, at Nanda Protest. Don't forget that little cheeky underscore at the end. If you want to find her and her work on Twitter, what's up, Fernanda? Ah, thank you for having me. All good. Yes, I have the freaking underscore because some other Nanda Pratis stole the... She hasn't tweeted since like 2011. It's very frustrating, but here we are. I think the original Dan Tom didn't tweet for like till since 2011 too, yet... There he lies, and here I am. So I got to do some weird underscores when it's on Instagram, but that's neither here nor there. Thanks thanks for joining for a special uh, Yaz Island triple title fight card. It's a, it's a big one, but it was an excuse to get you on. Thank you. Oh, I've just been waiting, just staring at the phone, just like wondering when this call was going to happen, and finally I got it. It's a very special moment. I had a speech prepared, but I'll just do it after the podcast. Well, um, I, I, I really wish that was genuine, but I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm, I'm, I'm it just, is. I truly mean it. It's I, the highlight of my career. You, you know what? If This feels like it's the highlight <laughs> of everyone's career because, like, you know, not to timestamp it too much, but we're in the pandemic COVID era, right? And it's affecting everyone kind of around the world. And if you're someone that's unfortunate enough to follow or work in MMA like us, um, that is pretty much our lives still. MMA... For all its faults and craziness and faults and craziness, <laughs> uh, it keeps it, keep, it keeps churning along, along, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. We never, that's the thing with MMA, like I said, we just never run out of things to say about it. And uh, that can go a lot of ways. That can mean a lot of things. But we can say that for sure. We always have shit to discuss. Yeah, I mean. Sorry, I swear a lot, people who are listening to the very polite Dan Tom. Well. You're in for a ride. Well, peeling behind the curtain, or in my case, peeling behind the cheap uh, backdrop that I got from the uh, set of uh, the original Batman. um, Like, it's funny. Before we got on to do this podcast, I'm like, I don't know about you, but it's an unfortunate habit to pick up our phone and check the news. And I'm like. Let, but it's kind of a must, like with so many fights dropping out. Like, let me make yeah. sure that me and Fernanda don't go and talk about a fight that's been canceled due to COVID or something, right? And uh, sure enough, the timeline never fails. Now, don't worry, folks. <laughs> At the time of this recording, no one else has dropped off. But, you know, you'll, fighters are still getting in fights outside of the cage. And 
Racial slurs are still being used, so rest assured, nothing has changed in the MMA world. Oh, Jesus. And I was going through the same thing. I was looking at my phone, just kind of... I think I was actually looking to see if they had found an opponent for Frank here or something. Like, I didn't even know what exactly I was looking for there. And then it popped in my timeline as well. This the fighter. Um, yeah, Mike Perry. Doing Mike Perry things in his free time. And I just felt the same way. I was like, can I... I should just get Twitter out of my phone for my sanity's sake, but I cannot bring myself to do it. And we need it for work, you know, we do it, but we should get additional pay, like hazard pay for Mike Perry alone. <laughs> tell that, tell that to the, tell that to the bar workers of South Florida, Fernanda. Tell that oh, to the geez. bar workers of South Florida. You want to talk about hazard pay and essential True. services down there. Jeez. Just being in Florida, I feel like should warrant you some type of hazard pay. Hey, but never been i'm sure it's a lovely place i'm just uh just repeating what i see on the news and speaking what we are seeing and what we are talking about at least mike perry rounding his back he was wearing a fight island t-shirt you gotta love that the product placement he's certainly in the spirit <laughs> um me and you fernando we're, we're not uh exactly the type no i'm sorry folks no this video portion we're not gonna go start at any bar fights but we will celebrate Fight Island and get ourselves in the proverbial mood by, like, talking about fights. So if you guys are down for that, um, that's what we're going to do here today. Speak for yourself. <laughs> As Fernanda's icing her knuckles down there. I was, I was meaning to ask you about that. What, what's yeah, going on yeah. back there? I was, you know, uh, just warming up a little bit. Bars are reopening. I'll wear a mask. Um, I'll socially distance as much as possible. You... Use only head kicks because I feel like that's a responsible thing to do. You know, speaking of head kicks, I was about to compliment you. I was like, don't don't let the looks fool you, folks. <laughs> Fernanda, can, she can move. And uh, that flexibility, oh, my goodness, you! I'm so jealous of you and, and uh, your ability to get those legs up there for the head kick. I can't throw the head kick anymore. Um, my flexibility is gone. So props to you on that. I have no flexibility. I actually, it's all in the hips. I'll do an instructional video and I'll make it free for the listeners of this podcast. Okay, there we go. A little, <laughs> you, you plug it here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. Any instructionals you have or have coming. But we're going to be doing a breakdown more of the main card today, folks. Main card, UFC 251. As per usual for listeners of this show, um, we're going to go from top to bottom. Uh, we're, we'll list the odds and all that, but really, we're going to talk about all things regarding these fights. And uh, as per usual... For you audio listeners especially, I always recap my picks and plays at the very end because I don't blame anybody for not wanting to listen or much less look at me for extended periods of time. However, thankfully, I have Fernanda to help ease your eardrums and your eyeballs. That being said, I'm respectful of everyone's time, so if you want to hurry up, go to the back just for the picks, you can always do that. I won't be hurt, but... Feel free to give this video a thumbs up, a subscribe on the old YouTube channel, Daniel Tom MMA, which I know I got to change to Dan Tom MMA to get everything the same. And as you can see below, uh, follow me on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA as well. So with that out of the way, let's get to it. Uh, it's headlined, you know, it was supposed to be headlined by uh, Gilbert Dorino Burns. Of course, unfortunately, Gilbert. Um, I believe with some symptoms attached, uh, hopefully he's getting better, but did test positive for COVID. Uh, it was removed off the bout. Uh, you know, Usman didn't get on a, an initial plane. However, Masvidal comes in on the official six days notice. 
gets his long, uh, tedious negotiations, if you will, that he's been dealing with, kind of tied up. He's happy enough to show up. Now we have George Masvidal versus Kamaru Usman. Of course, Usman minus 255, a two and a half to one favorite, pretty much. Whereas George Masvidal plus 215 underdog. I guess a lot of places to start and unpack here, Fernanda, but were you surprised that this came together? Oh, for sure. I mean, first off, isn't this the most on-brand MMA thing that has ever happened? Like, the fight that we wanted in the first place ends up happening in just the weirdest freaking set of circumstances possible. I am very surprised. Uh, the minute Burns uh, dropped out, like you said, he, from what I read, the symptoms he experienced was mostly like a big headache. Uh, he seems to be doing okay, recovering. Uh, so that's good news. But the minute he dropped out, I legitimately thought the UFC was just going to let it rest. Uh, we have two title fights. We don't need to, you know, be scrambling to find a, an opponent here. Then people started talking about Masvidal. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no way they pull this off because he has to fly there. He has to get tested. Like, many things really have to come together for them to be able to pull this off. And I was doubting it every step of the way. I'm not ashamed to admit when I was wrong. And I was dead fucking wrong on this one. Like when, and then, you know, I read that it was just really about the one test, like the, the, the test, like if he passed the COVID, um, the COVID test, he would be good to go. And I'm, I'm still like, no, there's no way. And he's also training in Florida, right? Where, you know, things are reopening. That's where Gilbert was. And, you know, Mike Brown, who is one of the trainers of Jorge, tested positive. So in my mind, I'm just thinking too much has to go right for this to happen. And a lot. I mean, I don't want to jinx it. It's Thursday. We still have weigh-ins together. So I don't want to get too excited yet. But uh, it came together. But yes, for sure. I was very extremely positively, you could say, surprised. I'm still deciding if this is a good thing or a bad thing that this fight is happening, but I was very, very surprised. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I usually don't record these breakdown shows till like late Thursday night or early Friday morning, and I would argue it's almost better in this pandemic era because kind of what you're alluding to, Fernanda, right? Like, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not trying to deflate what we're doing over this video, but between recording this early and the way this card and the way COVID cases have been moving. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there, there ends up being parts of this video that becomes null and void um, between now and, and way in day. Right. I mean, a lot of craziness could happen and kind of what you alluded to. I'm glad you brought up Mike Brown, old Mikey Brown, because a lot of the tests, forgive me, I'm not going to spit them all off offhand, but I would say like a good 80 to 90 percentile have been coming from Florida and South Florida. Right which surprises a total of zero people. Like, that's why the UFC was able to hold the event there in the first place, right? Things were a little bit looser, and then uh, the reopening started. And I think this is very unsurprising for everyone just because if you have a place where things are just floating more freely, and I, I'm not based in the U.S., my knowledge is limited, from, but from what I've seen, that's the case with Florida. And with people training more normally, because those first few events, right, you had the fighters training with one or two people or whoever was available or willing to break the isolation and trying to kind of like scramble with the gyms opening and, or, and things just working more openly. Like it, this is a natural development. And yeah, Florida seemed like a prime place. And honestly, Brazil too. I mean, I'm surprised because Brazil, like, 
I was afraid that that would be the case there too. But to my knowledge, I'm trying to remember because Munoz is also an ATT guy. So I'm trying true. to remember if anything tested, uh, if anybody tested positive before leaving Brazil. But at the top of my head, I can't recall. Well, I would hope that uh, we would have heard by now in the cases of uh, Zaleski de Santos, who fights in the prelims, yeah. and Jessica Andrade, who we'll be talking about here uh, mm-hmm. shortly. But yeah, no, uh, you're not speaking out of school at all. And again, look at me over here. Uh, again, don't let this high-quality backdrop <laughs> fool you, folks. I'm, I'm actually in Las Vegas right now. I know. <laughs> to the movie yeah. magic. Uh, but but Vegas, as you know, uh, we are at the very top of the list. We're fighting for our spot. Uh, as far as <laughs> states with, with, with uh, the high, uh, highest cases or growth of cases or rate of cases, however increments of measurement you want to put it we're not doing well is the point and again where has the ufc been holding shows florida and vegas where are the fighters testing positive a lot of them are florida based where are a lot of these u.s fighters having to corral and fly out of well they're bringing a lot of them to vegas as the staging point so again not a lot of coincidences here and for those who think that the media is celebrating this by any means no believe me uh, as a media member whose job is affected by it, not celebrating it, as a Las Vegan who has to live in one of these most uh, polluted states with COVID right now, definitely not digging it from that end. So believe me, there's no celebrating here, folks. But, you know, we do have to acknowledge these things uh, as far as how they could affect the future future plans of our fights. Oh, yeah. Oh, the celebrating thing. And everybody kept saying when we first drew these concerns, right, about the way the events were held. And to the UFC's credit, like, Especially with the outsider, I feel like they're being held to such a, an amazing standard. Like th- things seem so safe. I've been following uh, John Morgan's. He's doing like this sort of diaries for MMA Junkie, right? Uh, just like really uh, laying out the procedures and everything. And it sounds like they're doing an amazing job. So props to them for that. But we were, I think, we we're well within our right to raise questions. And absolutely. Um, a lot of people were just kind of like, oh, wait until you lose your job or whatever. And we were all saying, like, this directly affects our job. And I got low-key fired. Well, I'm still working, but I I missed my previous arrangement. So I feel like, well, now that I lost my job, can I, can I be critical and talk about it? I feel like I earned it. That thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to look on the bright side. Silver lining. You know what? Now I can be an asshole, really. Yeah, it, it, it does feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> And yeah, no, believe me, like different circumstances and I'm definitely feel like I can't complain because, you know, I, I, I am still working, not for the same pay, but you know, I'm still working, uh, you know, so, so, so I, I definitely am not one to complain. And, uh, but, but yes, um, obviously it's silly for people with those accusations um, because obviously for people in the know or even that people that don't um, can see that it's affected it's affected us uh, some of the uh, some of the most not playing a violin again not trying to complain oh. here folks and again to counter to counter it even though I was one that was critical in the very early stages mind you when they were still trying to go in California I believe it was that April 18th date or whatever it was um, when we still weren't sure although I was amongst those critical early you got to give credit where credit's due and they've been doing an awesome job and even though it's a bummer that a lot of these covid tests have been you know have affected the main event that we're, we are talking about right now yeah. um you got to give them credit for catching these and you know just things that ufc is invested in sure we'd all want to see the 
fighters paid more. That's definitely another conversation worth having. Yeah. But as far as, you know, the PI setting up these technologies or trifecta with the meals and seeing the meals from the, the flight over to what they're able to provide for the fighters on site, when you compare that to, like, what these NBA players are posting on social media. Oh, man, depressing. It's like Fire Island type stuff. Oh, it's, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, so, again, like, you got to give them credit where credit's due. And uh, yeah. they, they are they are doing... Uh, a lot of stuff within their means, although not everything, of course, but they are doing a lot um, to to accommodate these fighters and make sure they're safe. Yeah, and even the fact that these fights are following through is a good sign that, that things are, are being caught. Even uh, Marina Rodriguez, right? She, uh, It wasn't her who tested positive. It was one of her corners, if I'm not mistaken, and they she tested negative and decided to err in the side of caution and reschedule the fight still for Yas Lydon before a later date. And we're kind of looking at that with Paul Felder right now, um, yeah. that he might not be able to commentate. Again, tomorrow this all might be different, but uh, he hasn't tested positive, but they're trying to err in the side of caution. So to me, these are all, um, you know, uh, encouraging signs that this is being taken seriously. So to the UFC's credit and um, they deserve credit for it. Like I feel like this is these are good signs that they're taking the whole thing very seriously. Now let's assume that neither Usman or Masvidal lose any more corners than they already have. At least in Masvidal's oh, case. Um, and let's say we get, let's knock on wood, let's see all the tests come through. Right now, now these two are yeah. hypothetically stepping in the cage. Um, I won't ask you so much about the odds per se because those are definitely kind of going in a funny direction. You could argue that the odds could be wider for this fight, short notice yeah. or not. But you know, just from a just just from a fighter perspective, again, Fernanda, you're no slouch. You understand the sport of, of fighting. You've been following these fighters, covering and doing a lot of different roles within our space. You know, I love your previews uh, as far as, as as far as your opinions and viewpoints go. So I'm, I'm generally curious what. We haven't talked about this peeling back the curtain. Like, what what's your opinion on on this fight? Does Masvidal have more of a chance than people are giving him credit, or did, did, is the opinions uh, about right that Usman should win this? I'm glad we're not talking odds because first of all, people that's my defense in Brazil. Betting is illegal, so I use that as my excuse for not <laughs> understanding. Betting. Like, there you go. And I worked for Junkie for like three years and I had to talk about that. I feel like I pretended well. Nobody ever noticed. But I still don't understand what any other um, So this is like my rational brain. I feel like it's with everyone here. I would give Usman this fight short notice or not just because his style is just... Uh, to me at this point, it's just hard to even imagine Usman losing. Like he hasn't shown me anything. I can't really picture anyone. I kind of thought that Dorino might be a more interesting, like more challenging matchup for him, just stylistically speaking. But even still, like I wouldn't put my money on Dorino. And then, so my rational brain says what I think is just the consensus, right? Just the very basic thing that Usman is not going to be stupid. He is going to use his wrestling. He is going to, you know, be, he has been preparing for a five round fight. Um, and that's the thing with Masvidal. That's the unknown. I think uh, even Dustin Poirier was saying that he was his main sparring partner. Uh, Mazda is not the type of guy to just be sitting on his couch and not training. I don't expect him to be out of shape. but And I do feel like maybe it was kind of in the back of his mind that he was he might be a possibility to step in for this fight. So, and he's an intelligent guy. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't expect Mazda to get in there and look embarrassing at all. I think he's going to be in shape. Um, but... 
you know, you just kind of feel like he wasn't what the camp, you know, we know what camps are for. They're supposed to prepare a fighter to peak at a certain time. And we can go into how short notice fights sometimes like make us question this logic. I've been be- I've been getting to think feel a lot of ways after the short notice opponents in the Jacksonville events and in the Apex events did so well because we've been seeing this trend of just influx of short notice guys and they're doing well. So we can go into all of that, but my logic is telling me taking that all into account, taking the fact that Usman was expected to five a uh, five round fight. I think his style is favorable to a five round fight. Um, I feel like he wins this, but <laughs> in the back of my mind, having seen the craziness that Mazidal pulls off, like, uh, you know, you think, oh my God, he's a wrestler that's going to be, it's, that's what everybody was thinking with Ben Askren and right. look what he did. You know, it's not like we can expect him to come out with an insane and get that done every time. But I think it does show that he's a resourceful fighter. He's a creative fighter. Uh, ATT is a very intelligent camp. They're very good with their game plans. Mike Brown is not going to be able to be in his corner. Okay, but I'm sure they talk strategy. I'm sure they, you know, he's not going to be stupid going into it. Um, so I'm very torn on this one. Like rationally, I just say put all your money on Usman. Like this seems like a very clear pick. But in the back of my mind, something just tells me that um, to never really discount Masvidal, but don't really discount him on this occasion. Especially because psychologically, too, this is so weird. Yes. And he's the type of guy that you can throw him in the fire. You can't, I don't think Usman is the type of guy that breaks. He's shown that he isn't. Um, it's really hard to talk about fighters breaking because they're essentially what they do is insane. <laughs> they have to be yes. crazy people. <laughs> but, totally, totally. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that factors into just that uh, Masvidal is exactly not the guy who would be faced in a situation like this. So I did not answer your question. I evaded it like a true journalist. No, 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 no. I think I think actually I feel a lot of the same way. You know, my heart's going to be in it for Masvidal. And not even that, but like it's more you can't count him out what you said. You can't. Um, the crazy things that he's proven to do, he's taken fights on short notice and dating back to, you know, uh, fighting Ray on short notice uh, in the Kimbo Street Fight videos when he was in a McDonald's drive-thru. And... Uh, <laughs> Like I was telling one of my other co-hosts for a new project uh, that'll probably be announced by the time people are seeing this, I was like, yeah, I mean, like, because everybody knows, like, you know, from Masvidal's interviews with uh, Gorgeous George and Goes, uh, uh, who, of course, we both know, right? And they interviewed Masvidal since back in the day, and Masvidal would always rant off on his epic, like, McDonald's orders. And I'm like, tell my, tell my, my buddy, I'm like, most of us will just do the supersizing part of the, the Masvidal equation. We don't do the taking a street fight 20 minutes after part of it. <laughs> so Masvidal is just that dude. And um, great point on Mike Brown, too. Like, even though he's not going to be there, you you bet your butt that he definitely, you know, uh, imparted any knowledge that he could already. Being a fighter himself, Mike Brown, that is, he knows how important um, getting those certain, you know, uh, uh, um, the little tidbits and notes can be. I'm sure they've already given him that. And then, hey, he still has his uh his longtime corner man, Paulino Hernandez. I'm, I know, Fernando, we get a lot of the same weird American TV references. So I don't know if you're going to get this one. Don't feel bad. But Masvidal's coaching. You can go look this up later. But he always he looks like uh, this guy, Paulino Hernandez. He looks like Balky from Perfect Strangers, um, who played like he played Serge from Beverly Hills Cop. It was that actor. 
Uh, I don't remember. I will not catch that one. Okay, okay. He looks, he looks, he looks just like him. <laughs> I will look and, it up. And, and I think it's gonna be his good luck charm. You know what I'm saying? But no, uh, on, uh, honestly though, uh, it, it, it is it is hard to discount Masvidal. I don't want to sound like I'm playing both sides of the fence either. But there, there, there is a lot of that. Now my official pick is gonna be Usman by decision, because yeah. I think Masvidal, like you said, I think he is gonna be in shape. Um, speaking of gorgeous Georgian goes, they interviewed Masvidal at the beginning of this pandemic era. He said he was going to be staying, staying ready for an opportunity like this should it arise. And word on the street, he's brought in big wrestlers like Bo Nickel uh, and others in throughout these past weeks. He also got Dustin Poirier coming out and saying that he was one of his main sparring partners for like five weeks of camp, which should yeah. alleviate a lot of the timing concerns. So. Yeah. Even though I'm not picking Masvidal, and I don't want to talk about talk out of both sides of my mouth, I think he is much live, uh, much livelier than the odds let on, and perhaps that's why money is coming in on him. Yeah, true. I don't think he's gonna get. He's not the guy who's gonna get taken down that easily. Like I just don't feel like it's gonna be controlled as easily as some people might think. Yeah, will be, you know? I I agree. I, I agree too. Um, in fact, just real quick on that note before we push on. I will say the one path to victory from a technical perspective is not just his counter-wrestling, but he's really good at striking off of the brakes in small spaces. And I bring that up, Fernanda, because I think, like, at least for four out of the fights we're, we're going to be talking about, including this one, it's a big mm-hmm. theme. A big theme is it is going to be and could be for a lot of matchups striking off the break. So look for that with Masvidal to win. However, I think Usman is too suffocating for his wrestling styles. Um, if you want more on that technical nerd stuff, go check out my in-depth <laughs> breakdown on MMAJunkie.com. Cheap plug. No, they're good breakdowns, though. Whenever I want to sound smart, I read them. And I just, like, <laughs> remember when we had to do picks for MMA Junkie, I just wait for you to pick first so I can, like, do your picks, too. <laughs> yeah, the, see, the problem was is, and I didn't do it strategically. <laughs> I did it because, like, whether I mean to or not, I seem to be a part of team procrastination and team running late. Um, so I, was all... I think you're part of team doing all the things though. You just talked about another project and I am, I don't know how many hours your day has. <laughs> you do all the things and your breakdowns are so long. And I mean that in a good way. Cause they're like really detailed. So well, thank you. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Check out his breakdowns. Don't, don't expect any of the technical stuff from me. My previews are about gifts and. <laughs> hey, you know what? Just ridiculous references. Well, there's some references that I'm gonna be wanting to pick your brain on. Um, and yes, not this isn't the only reason why I brought you on, but sure, <laughs> when it comes to the Portuguese language or Brazilian fighters, you know, I, they may have to do with those. So I'm not not trying to not I'm not trying to uh, not trying to you know play the stereotypes here. Don't take offense, but I got some questions, Fernanda. I got some questions. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. We'll get to it. All right. Next fight. Uh, no Brazilian questions in this next fight, though, however. No, no, st- uh, st- still no Brazilians. We got Alexander Volkanovsky, who's popping off at just over a 2-1 to one favorite, minus 210. And the comeback on the former champion looking to get his revenge. Uh, you know, we're taking another step at bat right away, in fact. Max Holloway coming in at a plus 175 uh, underdog. So you put a dollar on him, you get a dollar seventy five back or something like that, right, kids? All right. This isn't the this isn't this isn't uh this isn't the math show. Dan, that actually wasn't hard math. Well, you know what? <laughs> that that's putting it in 
terms I can understand. I can appreciate that. Yeah, just try. I need things to be broken down like this for me to understand batting odds. But hey, regardless of what the odds here, I guess just from a simplistic term, um, I didn't pick Alexander Volkanovsky to beat Max Holloway. He did so. Um, fairly convincingly, depending on who you ask, in my opinion, fairly convincingly. Do you, I guess, do you agree do you, or disagree with Alexander Volkanovsky now being favored to beat Max Holloway again? I mean, it's logical. Like, uh, I think him not being favored would sort of be the Rose Joanna. Well, maybe that's different because the first time Rose B. Joanna was quicker. So I think some people thought, oh, it was a fluke. But going into it, her not being a favorite, I was kind of like, this kind of like speaks to the dominance of people. So I. I was kind of expecting Holloway to be the favorite just based on the fact that people might have thought that it was a fluke. Uh, but obviously you can't do that when you're talking about a five-round fight. I'm with you. I actually saw the fight again this morning because I didn't remember much of it. Um, and, it, you know, history looking back, people started talking about it like such a close fight. And watching back, I was like, no, it was a clear 3-2. Um or you could argue for one. Like to me, it was very clear that that Alex had won those those first few rounds. And I think my question coming into this one is very much: um, we saw Max Holloway do the mid fight adjustments needed to win that fight. Will he come in with that mindset this time? At the same time, and this to me, I'm I love rematches because of that. A lot of people don't really like them as much I do because to me it's just it's a whole different puzzle that they have to solve I first time was picking Holloway I was not really giving Alex uh, Volkanovsky that much of a chance um which you mentioned there is no Brazilian uh, no Brazilian angle here but there is the Brazilian heartbreak angle because they both broke my heart by beating Jose Aldo uh, <laughs> and I was there for two of those times <laughs> but okay I'll get over it eventually. I'm healing. I'm talking, I'm talking it over with my therapist. Uh, but I was not giving Alex much of a chance of beating Aldo, too. You know, So I feel like maybe it's more a me problem than a Volkanovski problem. But that fight, so I'm really curious this time because also you hear Max Holloway talking about how he did his training on via Zoom and even see his coaches. And you want to, do you believe that? Like, or is the guy's experience as Max? Like, you can go a camp without sparring and still be good to go. But I have all these things going on in my mind with this one, with just what's going on uh, backstage. I do, I, again, to answer your question, I feel like it's logic, like it's very logical for, for Alex Wokonowski to be the favorite, like, because he came in with a good game plan. It wasn't even like he landed a, one good shot and Holloway was dazed throughout the entire fight, which. I mean, Hinnom Baro and TJ Dillish, I remember that. Like, the first time they fought, yeah. you know, was fighting so out of it that people kind of wondered if the second fight, Hinnom being with his full faculties would be different. Here we had a guy who came in with a good game plan, who he, his, he fights really long, uh, Alex, even though he doesn't look tall, he doesn't look imposing. He's a guy who uses his range very well. So you saw a guy who came in very prepared, uh, used the calf kicks very well. Like he did everything so very right in that fight that I feel like it's absolutely logical for us to think that he's going to do it again. But um, having seen Holloway adjust the way he did the first time, um, I'm kind of curious. I, this is a, a, 
one of those rare cases of a rematch to me that was a very clear win, but that is still very intriguing to see the second one. I completely agree with you as far as the adjustments that he found. He's going to have to come in with that earlier. Now, in my opinion, those adjustments were body work. And he actually hit him with body work early um, in the first two rounds. He just didn't go to it often enough and abandoned it in the middle. Didn't come back to it till later in the fight. That is Max Holloway. Um, whereas people are talking about the leg kicks. Now, I think the leg kicks are still going to be a factor but it's just hard for someone to adjust. And, you know, Volkanovsky talked about this in an interview, and I, I agree with him. It's hard to change your sensibilities, whether it's offensively or defensively, in just one fight. This can take many, uh, you know, many fights to evolve, whereas Volkanovsky has evolved. He came in as that juggernaut who will just go force for force, and he could get away with it with his athleticism, his power, um, his will to win. But... You know, he, he trains with George Lopez, who should deserve credit, his head coach, who he's did the bulk of this training with. But yes, since he branched over and also does training with City Kickboxing and Eugene Behrman, we see it. And you said it beautifully, Fernanda. He fights long for a short guy. And it's kind of, it sounds simpler and less impressive than it is, but it's really impressive. And the fact that... Because you have tall guys who fight short. Yes. Like you have, yeah. <laughs> the Ex have. Exactly. I mean, um, not as much, but uh, Anthony Smith used to have a real bad problem with that. He used to love to fight on the inside for such a long guy, especially when he was at middleweight where he was extra taller than everybody. So that's a great point. And even though I, I did give uh, Volkanovski perhaps more of a shot than most, I still ultimately didn't think he could win his first five-round fight against Max freaking Holloway. Um, and he showed to be able to do that with his variation of feints and variation of attack. You know, I made this example uh, on another podcast that I did, and it sounds crazy, but John Jones is deserved for the accolades he gets as far as a fighter. And how does he do it striking? He's not a combination guy. He's a single shot guy. So what does he do? He feints and he variates his shots. And it's not that he's not effective or not good. Clearly, he got to where he got to. That being said, I would argue that Alexander Volkanovsky is a better fainter and very uh, variation artist than John Jones. John Jones is more flamboyant and more dynamic, um, more uh, even athletic if we're talking about the younger John Jones. But if you look at Volkanovsky, he does it all with a purpose. Everything he's piecing together, kind of like a guy we're going to talk about, Peter Yan. Volkanovsky turns defense into offense. He's fainting and he's moving defensively, but it's actually, you know, going toward a weak side of Max's or setting up a counter. There's a lot that he's doing in there that just impressed the heck out of me. I think I already submitted my video uh, and my take for a junkie for this fight, Fernanda. But while you were watching uh, the fight this morning, Fernanda, so was I. Like I keep watching this that, that fight, that Max and Volk fight. There are so much little things to pick off of. I cannot wait to see what the teams are going to do to adjust. But, like, for the first time ever in my career as an analyst, I'm picking against Max Holloway here. I've never picked against him before, and the Hawaiian is picking against the Hawaiian. Maybe I'm trying to shield myself from the heartbreak that now I'm going to, you know, that, that, that Max did to your guy twice. Now I'm going to feel that, Fernanda. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just battening down the doors and getting ready for it. <laughs> but Volkanovski's the pick here. 
Well, I, I agree with you. And uh, if it's any consolation, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get my heart broken again. No, we'll get to that in a oh, second. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in fact, you know what? Let's uh, let's get to that. I, is, is both of our picks Volkanovski there? If I could put word, yeah. word in your mouth? Okay, name it. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's hard. To, it's hard to get a pick from me, but I mean, <laughs> I don't like picks. Oh, God, I'm such a journalist, like a the bad type, the one that, like, oh. writes an op-ed with, like, three different sides and doesn't pick one. That's just It's okay. Between my, picks, <laughs> between my picks that are put in print on MMA Junkie to uh, another place now, as well as this podcast, and then the stupid shit that I say as I raise my hand here, um, I will gladly take whatever heat. I'll be like a heat-sinking missile. I'll just take I'll, – I'll take whatever heat – uh, but 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 for the record of the show, I'm just gonna see which which side you're you're leaning toward. We'll just we'll put it we'll phrase it that way. Yeah, just put Volkanovski there. It hurts me too, though. Even though Holloway broke my heart twice, I am kind of a fan. <laughs> well, speaking of heartbreak, this one's tough because again, I I I I hate the UFC for putting my favorite fighters against each other. Um, and I love Peter Yan. I've been watching him since ACB 32, since that epic battle with Magomed Magomedov. That was like my Bonner versus Griffin, where like you tune into something accidentally and you're like, what's this? And you're enthralled. However, like Jose Aldo has been one of my favorite fighters for 10 years. And I don't know why this is Fernando, like most MMA fans and, and pundits and media gambling, anybody in the MMA space, the trend is when someone loses, they suck. They go down yeah. in value. And for me, when Jose Aldo lost, even though I picked Conor McGregor um, and to, to win that fight, um, when that happened in 13 seconds, I feel like I became even more of a Jose Aldo fan as I simultaneously just felt terrible because I just saw all these people. And it hasn't really led up in a lot of ways, sadly. Like, disrespect the dude's resume because of a a 13 second quick loss, which like we said, not taking anything away from Rose and Yoana, but those things tend to happen. In fact, we usually like to see rematches when they happen yet. Jose kind of got left with a sour bag. It feels like. Oh, absolutely. And it broke my heart because I'm going to let you in a little secret. We all know they all have to be impartial and whatever. And I feel like I am really fair in what I write and what I do as uh, a journalist, but you know, you work long enough with certain players, you start getting attached to them or appreciating them in a deeper human level. And Aldo is one of those people for me. Um, when he lost to McGregor, I cried. It's the first time I cried ever. It's first and all, it was the only time I ever cried uh, covering this and watching this. And I was at a bar crying like a freaking baby and nobody understands that. I think why the reason why I was really emotional about that one, it wasn't just that Aldo lost, uh, but just that I kind of knew that that was going to happen because I just kind of knew that that was the that would be such a heavy um, stain, an unfairly heavy stain on Aldo's legacy. I kind of just felt that uh, at that moment. I think uh, American audiences, I don't think they they understand Aldo as much as we do. There is a language barrier, but also there is a personality barrier. Aldo is such a Brazilian guy. He's such an example of Brazilian hustle, of just coming out of nowhere and making something out of himself and just um, 
he's so laid back. He's just, he's the opposite of Conor McGregor in so many ways, right? McGregor living that flamboyant life and being that. So Aldo is really, he's a quintessential Brazilian character. And I feel like that's why people love him so much here. And I don't feel like American audience really, audiences really understand that. So I kind of felt like his legacy would be very much hinging on wins, on tangibles. Because when you can't really grasp the intangibles, right? Like that's what you cling to. And so uh, that that loss hurt me because of that. And I do agree with you. I feel like after that, it's become he has always had to like sort of prove himself again. And he's done it right. So he beat Frankie the way that he did, which was a beautiful win, uh, became champion again. Then he loses to Holloway and everybody's like, he's done. He's out. That's it. But then, you know, the, the he gets these wins and nobody was really I was I thought Moicano was going to beat him like at this point, because it felt like a passing of the torch of sorts, right? He wins these fights that he has no business winning and then loses again. And then everybody's just kind of like, he's done. Yeah, that's it. He's like 32. He's yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird because they've seen him fighting for so long. So Aldo to me is one of those guys with a weird, complicated legacy. And I feel like people are always just very much willing to uh, cling to the losses and not really give him credit for the rest. And then you look at his resume, like, what are those losses? McGregor, the way that happened, Holloway and Volkanovski. Like, there's really no shame in that. I don't know what it is, man. Like, the 32 or 33s, like, I feel like, you know, you rewind 10 years and I was saying the same thing about the Noguera brothers. Like, look how messed up Big Nog looks. Like, he's 32 <laughs> years old. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like. But he was, like, 52 in five years. Like, yeah. I remember, like. Look at his twin and it's very clear. I remember after, like, the Tim Sylvia fight and he is, like, all had his, like, kind of face messed up and he's, like, Randy, come fight me. And my friend is just, my American, I'm American too. I don't know why. I'm saying this, but you know, I'm in America, right? So my American friends, his jaws drop still. Like, how did this guy win? And I go, I kind of go and whisper in his ear. I'm like, you know, the craziest part is that guy, Noguera came into the fight looking that fucked up. <laughs> like, oh, he, looked, he looked more fucked up going like weighing in. Yes. It seemed like it pained him to go on the scale and then he'd show up for the fight. But he was a trainee. He still is. He trains a lot. He was a training maniac and you can't really compute. He was... But he, like, think of his resume. That that, that will age a person. Yeah, yeah. That will age a human being. Aldo's fighting, fighting smaller people, but uh, the top of the division. That's one thing that nobody can ever take away from Aldo, right? Like, he was never... He was consistently fighting the best of the best for so many years. Um, I don't know. I just feel like if you want to discount that legacy, like you're a hater. That's it. But you know, <laughs> while we're talking about the now comparison length of career, um, that actually segues nicely to the grappling because, uh, even though Jose, as well as, um, big nog Antonio Rodrigo, even though they moved away from jujitsu competitions as their MMA, uh, careers progressed, you know, lest we not forget, I believe it's like a four, technically a four-time world Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion, not just a black belt. Comes from a, an acclaimed black belt school, Nova and Yao, with a lot of black belts who know how and have experience applying their games to MMA, whether it's his stable mates or Dede, uh, Andre Pedaneris himself, right? So uh, he has those skills there, but there's this kind of canary in the coal mine I have. Now, mainly it's for wrestlers, Fernanda, but I believe it applies here, and you can tell me your opinion on it. But 
whether it's they fall in love with their striking, which you could accuse yeah. Aldo of because he does so damn good with it. He's become yeah. one of the best strikers ever. Or because mm-hmm. grappling, especially wrestling, to get it to the ground, you need wrestling, right? And wrestling takes a lot of knees, back, and neck. These things that typically go with fighters, whether you're a wrestler or a jiu-jitsu guy. So part of me with this canary in the coal mine, I wonder, regardless of the reason, whether it's their body, and they're not going to tell us that because they're fighters, or whether it's their stylistic yeah. sensibilities, either way, everybody's doing this. This is the common thread of all the sample size, Fernanda. They're doing this. They're getting further away from their grappling base, right? And yeah. I bring that up because I feel like that is the glaring hole if you're strictly looking on paper on where Aldo has the yeah. advantage against Peter Jan. Yeah. And nobody ever factors that in. Like nobody's even no, – none of what I read is like, oh, then Aldo maybe should grapple Jan and because we forget that. Like you said, it really is his roots. I think – and people will – I think most people just consider Aldo a striker. Uh if you've ever seen him, that's how he fights. We don't really see a lot else, right? It, it really is his roots. And like you said, that the Pederneiras, like the whole thing, like Mabrignon, the, they're very attached to the jiu-jitsu. Like Leo Santos is also going to fight on Saturday, who is uh, one of, became one of Mabrignon's trainers. He's going to fight for the first time in like 10 years. I don't know. It's been forever. Um, they have a very strong grappling base, a very strong grappling heritage. And, you don't even factor that in anymore. Like you said, I hadn't even stopped to think about it, but I do feel like it might be just a thing of just the way that your body works in ages and it starts becoming a little more incompatible with that with that style. But um, well, I don't know. Well, I think you're right. Like that could be a, a very clear way to win, a much smarter way to win. I On the feet, I think everybody just kind of is fearing for the worst here, but at the same time, I don't think a lot of people are really expecting Aldo to do it. I think my theory kind of falls in the middle between whether it's the body or the style. I also think yeah. it's an energy management management issue because you often hear this stereotype, and it was more of an early. Uh, it kind of died out in the mid-aughts. We don't hear it as much anymore, but they would often say, oh, he's a kickboxer, so if you want to have a kickboxing fight, he can kickbox all day. I think there's more truth to that stereotype than the grappling one, for example, Oh, he's a wrestler. If you want to have a wrestling fight, he can wrestle all day. Well, no, not necessarily. I've heard yeah. plenty of wrestlers from Chael Sonnen onward say you can only wrestle for three out of them out of them five rounds, um, okay. humanly possible. I mean, even mm-hmm. even Khabib, right? We saw him dominate guys like Edson Barbosa, um, you know, and. Uh, Ally Quinta or other guys who are, are high-level fighters, but about the third round, including same with McGregor, about the third round, all those fighters actually had their best rounds against Khabib, even though they spent yeah. the first two getting dominated, because even someone like Khabib, who's an insane athlete and wrestler, kind of needed a break, right? So yeah. part of me wonders if it's energy management, because as we round to the striking part of this uh, to complete this conversation and breakdown, if you will, everyone also asks... What happened to Aldo's leg kicks? Or what's always the breakdowns like, I think the other guy's going to win. But if Aldo brings back those leg kicks, <laughs> and we can talk about the credence <laughs> of that or not or whatever, but this is what I wanted to bounce off, off you, I guess. And I know you didn't go research what the corners are saying or whatever, but it's hard for me because I don't, I don't speak Portuguese, so I have to re- rely on the translation that's being offered by production. Uh, but however, uh, when that translation, when I do watch the Aldo corner, what I'm getting from the translator is that 
his corner is usually telling Aldo to not throw the leg kicks toward the end of rounds or toward the end of a fight. And for me, sometimes, sure, this might have been against like a grappling opponent, like a Korean zombie early on. They were worried about it. Uh, but for me, it's like, yeah, they don't want to give up takedowns. And, yeah. and they don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to uh, have him maybe burn his energy uh, too early because yeah. we saw, we've seen that become a problem for Aldo as his career um, progressed. So part of me thinks that kind of long-winded here, but the leg kicks and the, and, and the grappling are tied together, that it's more of an energy management issue. Aldo, just for whatever reason, is more comfortable just to box guys these days. Could be. I don't know if that applies to the grappling, but I mean, for sure, the leg kicks, that's absolutely reasonable that you don't want to open yourself up to uh, the takedowns. Something, and he gets asked that a lot. I remember, I'm trying to remember which fight, but once uh, that was asked, I think it was maybe the first Holloway loss, and that they um, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. And that they said that um, he was hurt in that fight, so he didn't really, mm. he wasn't using the kicks that much. Aldo never said that himself. Uh, but that they said in an interview um, that it was he was hurt, so he wasn't really uh, able to use the leg as much as he wanted to. Uh, but then Aldo would also say, you know, people wise up to these things. And obviously you go into an Aldo fight and everybody's expecting that the leg kick. So it's not like anybody's just going to sit there and expect the leg kick to happen. Uh, but I also think it might be an energy uh, management type thing. Absolutely. Like you said, I think Aldo got really unfairly pegged as this guy who gets us out because I feel like he corrected that early on in his UFC career. He fought uh, five rounds consistently and showed that he could really maintain the pace uh, throughout. Um but it it could very well be that for sure. I'm gonna actually pay attention to the corner now that you said that to see if that's the thing that comes up. Uh, I don't even know if it's in Aldo's corner because I think that they didn't come with him this time around. Maybe uh yeah yeah well, that 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 will be very interesting too. And as far as striking goes, I'm not sure the leg kicks will matter too much because Peter Yan will switch stances and he does a lot of yeah. southpaw. And I actually wouldn't be surprised to see him do a lot of southpaw. Uh, given that you know uh, southpaws have have, have, have win, or, win, or, win or lose been some of um, Aldo's tougher fights, uh, so I I actually like that from from Jan's perspective. But let me ask you about this. I heard I, I, gosh I, I don't even remember what podcast this was from, and I searched it and nothing came up in the initial search. But Eduardo Dantes apparently there's an interview where he was saying that Peter Jan actually trained with Jose Aldo. Have you heard about yep. this? They did train. Uh, he, he went to Avignon for a little bit. It was years ago. Uh, Guy Cruz uh, posted actually a picture, I think, uh, for M Guy Cruz from, from MMA fighting. Right. Um, he did uh, a lot of athletes passed by Avignon. Remember? Because it was really just the the place to be for a while. It was kind of like the gym for a few years there, especially when both Hannah and Aldo were uh, at the top of the game. And yeah. I think that's I know very young Peter Jan uh, trained a little bit there. He's, what, 27 now? And I'm guessing this was at least like five years ago. Yep. So it was a while back, but he did. He did train there for a little bit. Yeah, and Peter Jan's not uh, you know shy of international training. Of course, he does most of his camps in Thailand at Tiger Muay Thai. And he's been doing that for about five years now. So that 2015, I mean, that puts you right in uh, that prime pocket of Nova and Yao for sure. Um, so I could totally see him there as a young kid. And according to Dantes, obviously, especially if it's a featherweight Aldo and, you know, maybe Aldo five or six years ago, uh, according to him, to no surprise, he was getting the better of the exchanges. Um, is that what you heard as well? That Aldo was getting the better of the exchanges? Yeah. Uh, well, Dudu would say that, though. 
<laughs> true, true, true. Uh, well, like I said, I think that young grew so much and over. I'm actually looking to see if I find the year in which that happened because I I'm thinking it was even before 215. Um, uh, but I I wouldn't doubt that at all. Like with so much. Oh, okay, with uh, I'm looking at the story. All good. And uh, even if uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. So when Aldo years. was in uh, the rematch for USC 200. Wow. And Aldo was still looking uh, very good then. That was an underrated Aldo. Even though Frank Yeager didn't look great in that fight, Aldo still looked really good in that fight. Um, that being said, regardless of how those sparring matches went, Peter Yana has this like evil grin about him. Like that, he you is. really. It's disturbing if you're in the ring with him, obviously, but if you're somebody. Who wants to look for good fighters like he has all those all the signs and yeah. um you know it, it, it sucks because now that that ire is going to be directed toward aldo and he doesn't seem the type like for example moicano uh is i love moicano because he seems like such a nice guy but i almost felt like that being a nice guy and a respectful guy worked against moicano yeah. when he went against yeah. aldo uh, I don't he's think... a low-key psycho, though. I'll give you that. Like, remember his last fight in Brasilia when he submitted? Yeah. What was it? Uh, and he started yelling. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. He started yelling at him because he was submitted, <laughs> and then because he wanted to fight longer. And backstage, he said he was like, "I'm, I don't know." <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck was that? It's like I'm just fucked up in the head. Like that was literally his. Re- I'm just fucked up. I'm just crazy. So, Moicano is this baby. He's a really nice guy. All indications are that he's a really nice guy. I'm just saying there's a little bit of psycho in him. <laughs> I, I get along. I, I, I'm a bigger Moicano fan now. Let's just say after hearing that, I relate oh, to him. No. Hey. <laughs> no just... Who among us? Who among us, you know, isn't low-key a psycho? I mean, all of the interesting ones, at least. But I absolutely see where you're saying that he maybe respected him a little bit too much or had that reverence. And even being Brazilian, I feel like that's, a different type of reverence that you're going to have if you're Peter Young. And I'm pretty sure Peter Young is also a psychopath. I'm terrified of that man. I'm very scared. It, it makes me uh, very intimidated. Ex- I'll just say it, that. Exactly. Aldo, if you're watching, <laughs> watch out for the body shots and the uppercuts. Cause I think that's what, uh, I think that's what he's going to, uh, he's going to attempt to look for, uh, <laughs> to, uh, you know, if you're asking me, but, um, that's the message along. <laughs> I am curious though, with, that day like i'm not even sure but i haven't seen him there it, and i don't remember the last time aldo didn't fight with um uh, the day in his corner i i remember i forget remember who said this but uh somebody was saying i don't know if it was like someone from uh was it holloway's yeah. camp but someone said there's a, there's a saying where they were like gonna fight uh jose aldo and they weren't sure if uh day day was gonna be there or not and they saw him there in, yeah. the, in the fight week uh which meant he was gonna be in the corner and I forget one of the coaches or corner said, "Oh, oh, day day, don't leave the house for nothing." And that always stuck <laughs> well, in my really? head. And I always, every time I see Benares, I always think, "Day day, don't leave the house for nothing." Yeah, he stopped cornering for uh, most of the fighters in Alvinia because he did that a lot, and it was very taxing on him all the traveling. But uh, obviously, Aldo is more like a son to him than anything else. So uh, he was infected with COVID a little a little while back. I don't think is there with him. Uh, I'm legitimately curious to see how that affects. I don't remember seeing Aldo without him, but he could have fought without him and I'm just misremembering it. Same, same. All right, next fight. Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade, the rematch. Um, Namajunas, of course, doing really well, looking amazing in her title defense at that time. 
gets knocked out after committing to a double wrist lock Kimura grip. Uh, Jessica Andrade does the rule of thumb, slamming her on the Kimura side, as we saw with Nate Diaz versus Rory McDonald, except she was able to get a knockout this time around, loses the title to Wei Li Zhang by first round knockout. Now, as they meet for the rematch, despite winning the first time around, Andrade is the underdog, and Rose is popping off at a 2-1 to one favorite. Um, does that surprise you at all? Uh, maybe the way I frame it is a little biased there, but but does that surprise you at all? No, I mean, the way Rose was looking early in their fight, it really seemed like she was fighting an amazing fight, like she was en route to winning. I remember I was sitting right there, like, uh, uh, media, media row for that one, and it had been a very sad night for us because Aldo had lost and um, Anderson Silva had lost in that very weird way to Jared Canonia. I'm thinking that's the same night. I'm pretty sure. Yes. So you had Jessica Andrade and, 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 you know, the mood, there, you know, it's so deflated and so sad. And it really did seem like we were just about to see that happening again with Rose. Um, she was looking so sharp. And then it happened. I'm not surprised, uh, mostly because they think also uh, the way uh, Andrade won that fight really contributed to this narrative that I feel is a little unfair that she's all bronze, like all power and no nothing else, right? Like she got really pegged as that. She's just really strong and she overpowers the girls and that's how she wins fights. And uh, the way that I don't think that's entirely fair Um uh, but the way that she won that fight, I feel like really corroborated the narrative. And then she goes and loses real fast to Wiley. And I think it really made people, it, that got lodged in people's brains. So people who saw that fight and think Rose was winning probably think that it was a fluke, that it was just her power and the way that the situation unfolded and Rose's sort of brain fart in that moment that contributed to it. So um, no, not not necessarily surprised, and I don't necessarily disagree with it either, I guess. Um, I would pick Rose for that one, too. I, uh, yeah, I'm picking Rose for this one, too. However, you know, it, it does seem kind of, it does kind of make me worry that the line keeps, you know, the money keeps piling in on Rose. And, and uh, so from a betting perspective, I, war- I, I warn anybody, you know, jumping off that cliff, even though my pick is Rose, because, you know, um, Something else uh, revealed to me is I don't. Speaking of the head coach narrative, right? Um, is she going to have her head coach there, uh, Trevor Whitman? And how much has she been working with him? Uh, this camp apparently she went over and did a lot with Greg Nelson over in Minnesota. Yeah. Greg Nelson, of course, was the head uh, coach of Sean Shirk back in the day. Um, he hasn't coached as many high-level notable guys, at least you know on the UFC stage, to my knowledge. But he is a good coach, so nothing, no shade there. But again, changing things up, right? For better or worse, there's always weird adjusting periods. Whereas, I don't know if you've interviewed um, Jessica. She's one of the few fighters who I've interviewed um, and interviewed in person when she was working out here for a little bit. Uh, And she seems like she's got a really tight relationship with her coach. I know that team got a lot of crap for the Priscilla Cachoeira um, stoppage and I guess their comments or attitude kind of toward it. And whether you want to agree with that kind of an attitude or not, fighters and even their teams, as we're learning, when we get their opinions on stuff like corner stoppages, whether we agree with it or not, you almost have to have this, I don't want to say arrogance or false sense of invincibility, but let's be honest, it's kind of what it is. And it is a yeah. prerequisite um, in its defense uh, somewhat, right? Um, so I don't blame them for having that. And also I could, I could genuinely care 
Uh, I mean, I could genuinely tell that that coach has so much care for his his fighters, his his girls, his men. His it doesn't matter. You could tell he's a really caring coach. So I'm not willing to cast any dispersions. And in fact, I got to imagine a tight bond or coaches that have those tight bonds um, are going to probably thrive pretty well as far as improvising their training situations in the pandemic era. I'm always going back and forth in these situations. So you were right. Uh, Jessica Giliadja Paraná is her coach. Um, she considers him a second dad. She right. talks about it a lot. Like they have a bond that she's never leaving him. She, I just read that she's thinking about relocating to Vegas so she can take short notice fights. That took me entirely by surprise. I don't know how that will work. Uh, I don't think Giliadja would move. He has his gym in Rio and a baby and whatever. I don't know that he might coordinate her training from afar, but uh, they do have a very tight bond. And Jessica Andrade has really cons has been training for her entire USC career, at least in the same uh, gym, Parana uh, Valitudo. And mm -hmm. I, and no shade, but it's she's the one big star there. The one, yeah, other, she trains with a lot of girls who are just starting out. Um, Carol Haas, I think it's fighting the same card. Uh, you have some girls who are coming up, Priscilla Cachoeira, like you said, who, even though she had a terrible start to her UFC career, she did. She just got a big knockout uh, a few months ago. I don't know, a few thousand years ago, because this year. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, but for a long time, I was a little critical of it, I must admit, because I kept thinking that Jessica was so talented mm -hmm. that in my mind, I felt like she needed maybe to leave. And in Brazil, you have a very strong culture of you're considered a traitor if you switch gyms, right? Like, you have to have that loyalty. Vitor Belfort got a lot of crap for a really long time because he was never loyal to a gym. Mm. He jumped around gyms a lot. And so for a long time in my mind, I can't have that idea that, you know, Jessica's really limiting herself here because she's training with people who aren't as high level as she is. Again, no shade, they're beginning, they're just at a different stage of their careers. But now when you, like you were saying, then I think about it, um, how valuable that bond may very well be, you know, just, it could be the opposite. You see the opposite of a fighter like Claudia Gadelha, who was with Navignon for a really long time, left uh, good on her she wanted to pursue other things she felt very overtrained and over you know she wanted a new style of training really um then we have even in brazil as a whole i feel like brazil a lot of brazilian fighters and i'm going on a big tangent here but complain about overtraining in brazil right because there's this culture um i think it's a culture of the brazilian that we need that we feel like we need to work so hard for things and the training is different obviously it's adjusting here too with time things change everywhere but um i hear i heard from a few fighters honey even moicano when they went to att that they appreciated the rest claudia was the same person but wow. going back to my point was just that yeah they felt like you know they went from sparring every day to sparring like twice for <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <resting>. totally <laughs> or just having like twice two training sessions a day and maybe sometimes one if they're not feeling up to it and they were kind of like what is this can i what is the rest i have a day off what is this strangeness magnets how do they work uh but claudia switched gyms a lot and it ended up I was just talking about this the other day with a friend. Like, how do is that is that what's hurting her right now? Yeah, Claudia won her last fight. She's won a few in a row, but I feel like a lot of people kind of don't 
we're expecting more of her at this point of her career for a while there it seemed like it was her and Joanna sort of running unrivaled in the UFC so uh, I, I have that question a lot in my mind now I begin to think about it a lot just um, if maybe what I thought in the past was kind of like a fault could actually be one of the things that really helped Jessica Andrade get to where she is now because I feel like she's one of the fighters that nobody expected mm -hmm. to get to this point of her career uh, when she first started in the UFC, I don't think anybody was giving her a shot in hell of becoming champion. Okay, not anybody. I'm speaking for myself. I right, right, yeah. <laughs> becoming champion. And, uh, you know, she did. Say what you will. I think she's a more uh, talented and well-rounded fighter than people give her credit for. And uh, she's done all of that with the same gym. So... <laughs> Who am I to say anything or criticize? No, that that's actually great insight because, yeah, like when I interviewed her, it was in the January of 2017. So she was just coming off of a big, uh, you know, only her second or third, but a big strawweight victory over Joanna, uh, Joanna, Joanna Calderwood, Joanne Calderwood, right? I believe at that time. And she's out here in Vegas and she's training with Angelo Reyes uh, for her boxing at UNLV Boxing. And that was my, kind of my connection and, you know, she wanted to take advantage. I think she was healthy. I think she she won in the first round. So she wanted to take advantage and stay out and train. So even though she already won a fight, you know, she was going to Extreme Couture, Syndicate, all these different gyms and sparring. And, of course, and of course, you know, her coach uh, Piranha there was, was with her, you know, overseeing the training. Um, yeah. You could tell Angelo understood their bond and he was being really respectful, but at the same time was trying to express um, to her and kind of sell her not a false bill of goods i mean really just sell her in the fact to show her the opportunities which are here in vegas as much as i might not like vegas being you know my own personal feelings on it living here but yeah as a fighter there are a lot of opportunities so it's it's interesting to see that beach ball still kind of be kept alive as far as a conversation and here she is you know she's you know i know she just lost the title but she's still doing well and you're right I, at 135, I wouldn't have expected her to be a top five fighter, much less a champion, you know, because at 135, that version of Andrade looked like she was just showing up because she liked to fight, you know? Like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, the UFC needs need, needs girls to build this division because keep in mind, folks, there was only one female division at this time. Um, you know, you're mm -hmm. like, okay. Uh, the ancient what, days. What's that? The ancient days of 2013. Or yes, 14. right? It's crazy. So, like, we don't know what to think. And, like, if you were to have to place bets, you're like, okay, there are some definitely staying power in this division. But I don't think Jessica Andrade is it. And, sure, she wasn't it for 135. But look at her now. And just like um that boxing coach Angelo Reyes was pointing out, there's a lot of unique things in her game for people, like, to your point, Fernanda, that are just, like, writing her off as just, you know, bronze and muscle, like... No, and in fact, she's actually a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt now, although I still think that Rose's submission threats will be live in this fight. Oh, Jessica loves... She's actually a very active grappler. I think she stopped now, but she competed in grappling for a really long time, and it's also her sort of her introduction to it. Uh, her first thing, her original thing was jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So, uh, and again, we kind of forget that <laughs> because we just think of her as this very powerful person. Um, to me, the fight that really showed her, uh, to really sold, got me sold on her, like was um, the Claudia Gadelha fight mm. specifically. I I did not give her a shot in that one. I felt like this is the fight that the technician is gonna really 
overcome the powerful person. And uh, to me, the way that she, it's not that she's not powerful. Her power is a major asset. You cannot discount that. Claudia later said that she hits like a flyweight man. And I was like, don't wow. doubt it. <laughs> she hits like, yeah, she was like, she was really impressed. She was like, I, this is, this was insane. She really felt her power. Uh, but I feel like just the fact that she, she's able to use that power to her advantage so well is a testament to her game and is a testament that she's a better fighter than people give her credit for. So I fought my urge to ask about like Brazilian sayings, especially the Jose Aldo Gravedigger <laughs> saying, but I do gotta I, I, don't worry. I, I didn't do, know that saying by the way. I know, I know, I know. But, but I do gotta ask one thing because I've seen other people uh, aside on Draj, um, the total ignorant showing my non you know, my ignorance on culture here, but like um I love the headdress and you know, for me and my ignorance, it just reminds me of a Native American headdress because that's yeah. mainly us Americans' point of point of reference. But can you tell us what, uh, or do you know what what Andraj pays homage to that she's been wearing the headdress after a lot of victories, like she did it after the Claudia fight that you referenced? Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know actually if her family has any like indigenous roots, but it's very likely because in Brazil, like uh, that's very common. Like all of us have some type of it in our heritage. Uh, but that's her way of sort of like connecting to Brazil and to her roots. But I legitimately don't know if that's like a there's a, a legit family thing. She talked about it, I remember, uh, afterward and just like talked about sort of feeling feeling empowered by it. But I really don't know if there's a, there's a deeper family connection there. Well, one of my favorite walkouts, you can look it up later, Fernandez, Genki Sudo at like I think K107. Um, and he comes out to like a similar, he's got like this crazy headdress on and it just reminds me of it. It's super cool, but cool. I was just, I was just, I was just curious about that, but yeah, um, I, I guess we're, uh, I don't want to throw you off, throw you under the bus, but we're leaning the same way. If I can say that there with Rose Nama Yunus, but again, folks, um, don't, uh, don't follow us off any cliffs here. We're just, we're just giving you, uh, our opinions. Don't, don't empty your bank account. <laughs> Um, Don't ever follow me off any cliff. That's the one tip I can give you with some certainty in life. But yeah, I'm, I would pick uh, Rosna Mayunas for that one. Well, I don't want to abuse. Uh, I don't want to abuse uh, having you on the podcast for the first time. So let's uh, let, let's get to this last fight here, and then I'll let you give any other shouts, any matchups, or anything else you want on the way out. But kicking off the main card. We have Amanda Hibas at minus 750, which is actually, it's come down a bit. Uh, so she's, she's a seven and a half to one favorite to beat Paige Van Zant, who currently is listed as a, as a plus 525 underdog. Um, I mean, it, it, fights she's this wide. Favorite, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, like fights this wide in MMA, though. Isn't there some kind of like rule of thumb where we kind of got to be skeptical in general? Like, because how many, especially this year, you know, like Kama Worthy alone uh, has scored some huge upsets. <laughs> like, you know, I feel like anything like where you just start seeing it over anything over like a five to one favorite in either direction, yeah. you got to kind of squint your eyes at. But at the same time, I don't see how Paige wins this fight. Uh, what, what do you think, Fernanda? <laughs> I'm exactly with you there because I was just thinking the same thing. Like, that's a lot like 2020 doesn't agree with this so my instinct say that if i have 20 bucks i never want to see again i'm putting them on page but i'm like you there like if i have to pick an avenue for her to beat hibazen i i can't think of one uh 
and that's not a detriment to Vincennes as much as it is a, a testament to how complete uh, Hibas is. Her even her background is so diverse. Like she was part of the you know judo mm -hmm. national team, uh, but she's also a very clearly a very competent striker. And she was basically born on a mat. Her father was a Valitudo fighter uh, back in the day. So she really she is to me the kind of like this idea that we have of a very new complete mma fighter maybe what they wanted to sell as as page being early on you know in her career i don't know but um i just i really have a tough time and again not a detriment to page van because i don't see amanda he was losing to a lot of people even higher up in the 115 division i was Sort of curious to see how she would do against a very experienced person because uh, I think it was very impressive what she did against Mackenzie Dern. But at that point, we were all kind of like sort of expecting that to happen to Mackenzie Dern, right? We we're just kind of like somebody's right. gonna show up and do this. Uh, so it wasn't as shocking, I think, uh, to see that happening. But then uh, with Honda Marcos, who you know has a very inconsistent record, we know all of that. Uh, we know all of that about uh, her career arc, but who is a veteran? And who's intelligent yes. and who I felt like could be a test to Amanda Hibbert just because I wanted to see how she would do against that type of opponent. And she passed that with flying colors. So at this point, I, I am just very, very confident in Amanda Hibbert. Uh, I'm expecting 2022 <laughs> to do something weird. I always am. And I personally, I really like Paige Van Zandt, uh, to be perfectly honest. I think she's awesome. I love that she's out there saying, you know what, pay me. Yeah. I'm worth more than wins and losses. This is, you know, I make more money on Instagram. Like, you do you, boo. That's amazing, empowered, love it. Can't get enough of it, but I just don't see her beating Emily Hibbis. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely want to talk about Amanda uh, for sure, but I just will say about Paige, I feel bad for Paige because she always, you know, like – don't get me wrong. I'd be lying if I said I didn't see her put out, you know, a, a, something cringy here or there or something. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, like the way I, you have to remember how our culture is and do your best, I guess, not to get sucked into being overly critical on people who are stuck having to you know, be in the public eye, which we know in any increment, it's not very polite place to be, <laughs> um, especially if you're a female, which I don't even I already think it's a cruel place without having that point of perspective so you go and times that by 10 by being a, a female like Vage Van Zant, and I, I just I feel bad for her I don't have any other way to say it because um, you just see how, how, how vicious people are so uh, I'm rooting for Paige to get paid regardless of what happens in this fight and I have no hate on that but man is it going to be hard to hate on Amanda um, Amanda Hibas because not only does she have all the diverse skills that you talked about which is important but like even after being considered, like, she's so good that she suffers a, you know, a, a, a KO loss. She gets hit just the right spot by Pollyanna Viana, who's also in the UFC and, you know, no slouch. Or maybe she's not. I know she suffered uh, quite a few couple losses. But still, it's not like it's to a nobody. I mean, she even gets tapped out in an EBI match, right, uh, to a to a not-as-known name. So, uh, you know, perhaps I biasly thought people that I know, you know, uh, that, that I like, Emily Whitmire had a chance, but she goes out and submits the submission girl, beats Mackenzie Dern on the feet, you know, putting all the skills, going to American Top Team, which I think is just a great balance because we're seeing that cage wrestling from her to go with her judo and her jujitsu. Her striking's coming along great. 
But she also has great personality, and you said it with Aldo, where it's a shame people that aren't, you know, uh, native to Brazil or native Portuguese speakers um, are probably not getting the same experience as Aldo as you and and many, right? Um, so we don't get to see all of his personality. Where there's something about Hibas when I was watching her post fight interviews, it's it's super endearing. And you know, granted, um, I, I I'm I'm told Aldo's English is better than what he leads on. So I don't want to say that her English is better. So granted, Hibosh is attempting to speak English to a primarily yeah. North American audience. Obviously, that's going to help. But I think it's more than that. She really has this endearing character. Like, she's super game. And, you know, you see her almost talking crap to Dern. But as soon as the bell rings, you see her endearing go, like, to every girl, even though she knows she beats them, she almost feels bad. She's like, I'm sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> like, you could see her checking on their, her physically, uh, morally. Like, she's spiritually. Like, she's trying to make sure everybody's okay. Like, like how can you hate this girl, man? I don't know. Am, am, I, am I seeing things? Am I Are my rose-colored uh, glasses? is too tinted over here fernanda no she radiates positive energy and like i'm a grouch so it annoys me <laughs> like, i can't even i cannot like her like i wanted to dislike her right 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 if you're this happy something's up something's off right. like you must be faking like it can't be genuine but what I hear from people, and I interviewed her dad too, by the way, for a story I wrote on her for The Athletic, and he's the same way. They're both like super high energy, like charged up to all the way up to here. So she she very much has that personality, and it's infectious, her smile, her laugh. And you could see, because just her first win, right? Uh, she was already people rasking. Who's that girl who's laughing in the mic, who's saying all those things? Yeah. And um, she was in the U.S. for... Along for quite a few months um, at ATT, she had trained there before because I don't know if you remember, she got caught uh, in yes. something that proved to be a tainted supplement. And she got a, actually like she's it was really rough. She got signed, had the fight scheduled, uh, got flagged then got the fight pulled and she was already training at ATT at the time. And she stayed there for like another I don't know, she probably stayed there nine months total. That obviously helps with the English, too. And yeah. Um, and what, but what I liked about all of this uh, was her attitude because the doping thing, um, which wasn't doping, it was proved to be proven to be a tainted supplement, and it could have really broken her, and it didn't. She could never make it to the Olympics. She busted her knee, had to have surgery, and then a second surgery to fix the first surgery because it was botched. She didn't lose that spark. And uh, you mentioned the loss to Poliana Vian. It was uh, a jungle fight loss, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And um, she gets like she slips, she gets punched, she slips, and then she kind of makes a rookie mistake there. Uh, and even then, her dad was just saying, her dad was saying that's done because they thought she was going to get to the UFC after that. He was crushed. He thought her UFC shot was over. They blew it. Like he was, and he said, she cried next day at the gym. Wow. Getting better. So he was just like that. She was like, imagine somebody who really benefited from a loss. That was her. And that, to me, I think that's what shows. It's just that sort of attitude, positive, positive attitude that I find, quite frankly, alarming. Yes. <laughs> it's it, just strange. I, How can you be so fucking positive? I'm mad, but I wish I, I, wish I had it too because I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's so damn useful, not just as a fighter, but a fighter in this pandemic era, right? You're looking at, okay, maybe something goes wrong and that gets the better of them and then things like i know with me personally once one thing goes bad i start to unwind and unravel 
But oh, with, me too. But with her personality, it's like <laughs> I she just looks fucking unshakable. Like I don't know what anything. I don't think a positive COVID test could bum her out. Like I'm like, what is going on? Exactly. Some fighters do the mean thing, right? Like that's the way that they get in the zone, and that's the way that they feel shielded. I feel like she feels shielded by just her positive attitude, and again, alarming, disturbing, unnerving. But <laughs> good on her. Even I can't can hate on that. And, and I love it too because it, it's it's whether you love it or not, it's genuine. Um, and you know, you go back on Fight Pass, especially some of these newer fights where the the production they kind of just threw the fight up there and they kind of left the dead space like where the the production's on commercial break so the fighters yeah. are kind of waiting for the announcement and it's the stuff you don't normally see and i love watching that because you can see the fighters interact with each other you can kind of see their character like are they concerned about their opponent whether they won or lost you, you could tell a lot from the person let's just say yep. and i'm watching because i always love to watch when the cameras are off so to speak uh, even though they're the center of attention and you're watching, and she's still being just a goofy, giggly, <laughs> like that. Ah! And she's like, I'm like, oh my god, she's still the same person. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's gonna take a lot to get her thrown off. And I think that Paige Van Zandt's toughness, sadly, like we've seen before, at best, it's probably gonna get her. Um, I don't want to say beat up, but probably hanging in a fight if it's not going in her way. You know, longer than she needs to be there. That being said, if Paige Van Zant were to upset, like I wouldn't be hating it for a second. I'd be happy for her. I just have a hard time uh, in summation seeing her win this fight. I guess. Same, exactly the same. I'm on exactly the same boat. But you continue doing you, Paige. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I I think it's crazy too. I don't follow her, but <laughs> I can encourage it from afar. <laughs> you know, if it, yeah, it, if. Shoot, if, if, if I could, you know, uh, market myself. And that's the thing, like, from managers to fighters to, like, you know, even all these, like, idiots in the comment section. Oh, well, you signed the contract. It's your fault for making this money. Like, I feel like all walks of life can agree that these fighters should be getting paid more and marketing themselves better. So it just seems like a real double standard Um, if you're going to say that, but then hate on, uh, hate on page there, so. Oh, and we could go in and not, like you said, being women and, you know, a lot of, men will objectify her and have objectified her uh, her entire career but the moment she decides how she's going to put her body up we, we, that's a whole other podcast but like that's a little element of it too like when she decides that she's gonna put her body on display the way that she wants to and maybe make some money off of it uh people are outraged so it's almost like we can't win hmm. interesting yeah, 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 yeah. How dare, how dare um, these fighters uh, use their bodies to make money? Because that's because yep. they don't, you know, they're not meant to do that. They're only fighters, you know. They're kind of already using their bodies to make money. Oh boy, does it fall apart real fast? The arguments, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry. <Yep. laughs> but yeah, um, much respect, much respect to all who step in there. Thank you for stepping in here, Fernanda. Before. We get out of here, though. Um, is there anything on the prelims you want to touch on? Uh, because uh, they're going to be stuck with me for the prelims. They're not going to hear anything. Uh, anything you want to give a shout out, a shout out, or, or or just anything at all before we get out of here? Yeah, my boy Eliseo Zaleski. He has a thousand names officially in the UFC. I don't yes. know why Eliseo Zaleski is very freaking specific. You know me. I only know the one. He's in Brazil. Easy, Easy De Santos. If you're on the Comate Event easy podcast, Elijah, yep. uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, Elijah Duskew. If, if you're on the MMA analysis, shout out to those guys. <laughs> I mean, he's got a lot of names. Sorry, go ahead. 
Eliseu Zaleski dos Santos. I'll give you the Brazilian uh, pronunciation, but e, I, I can I can get that with easy. That's a good one. And or Capoeira, as he's known. Capoeira, Capoeira here. Um, he's always he's always a great fight. Like regardless, he was given such a raw deal his entire career, buried in prelims. I don't know why getting bonuses, doing amazing fights, gets buried in the prelims. When they take him out, he fights the leech and loses. I mean, it was just such a heartbreaking career arc, but he's amazing. He's uh, always always an exciting fighter, and he's fighting uh, Salikov. Right? Yep. I, now I'm butchering another nationality. No, you said, after... you said I think you said it right. <laughs> after showing off with my Portuguese, uh, who is also a highlight reel kind of guy. The two, as far as I can remember, so I yes. think that that's kind of a barn burner. That would be my can't miss fight in the prelims. Me too. I'm really excited uh, to talk about that one, and, and I, I I love some uh, easy dos Santos there, Capoeira. <laughs> He's something about that beard and look too. It's like it's scary and stoic all at the same time. And then he comes out to my favorite, and I don't know if we'll um, get to ca we'll catch this. We're ca we're getting less walkout music, which is bummer production. Come on, ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> but show show Dos Santos is because he comes out to uh, Europe final countdown. Da -da -da -da. Da -da 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 -da. Which I find kind of generic, but I think in his case, as a walkout song, I think it's an amazing song. Like I use it to like motivate me in real life to do the dishes or just like face my existential pain. But again, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it works with him. Yeah, the whole look, the whole thing. I think easy. Easy has been given a raw deal in his UFC career, so I'm looking forward for him to like make his way up again and, and get the love that he deserves. I'm gonna, I've chosen this hill and I'm dying on it. Just that is it. That is my party message. All right, you know what? Just for that, our, uh, what, what the the, the uh, bridging music to bridge these segments is gonna be final countdown. Just for that comment, Fernanda. Whether it's whether it's Dos Santos walking out or Fernanda. Uh, doing her chores to it. Whether, whether, let, let let the sound of the 80s uh, pump you up. But before we get to that, thank you again. Be sure to follow Fernanda on Twitter at Nanda Pratis underscore little cheeky underscore and save the cheeky comments because uh, yeah, there's enough there's enough hate and BS. Uh, I think we can just say on or off the MMA feeds alone. We don't need to add to it. Let's add to the fun. The funny, the positive, and uh, try to make it more of a livable space, shall we? Thank you for having me. Yeah, feel free to follow me and interact. Unless you're an asshole, then don't keep it to yourself. Um, I don't need you in my life, and I will call you out. So there's that. Okay, well, I'm, I hope this went well because I'm definitely going to be asking you to come back, whether it's a audio commentary for a movie track like a John Claude Van Damme special, like I've been promising my audience for a while, or a top five show. Um, I, I would love to have you back on. Thank you for coming on this time. Oh. And uh, till next okay. time. Thank you. As promised, we are back uh, to some final countdown. So I am going to recap and wrap us up and get us out of here for 
the prelims and uh, recapping my picks and plays. Big thanks again to Fernanda. Hopefully uh, I didn't embarrass myself too badly, especially listeners of this podcast know how I tend to do that. But thankfully uh, with Fernanda, I was able to uh, stay somewhat on target (laughs) and we were able to talk about some fights. That was really fun. I've been looking forward to getting her on here for a while. And um, and again, folks, um, just a reminder, um, that section was recorded Wednesday night. Thankfully, everybody has weighed in as I'm recording this right after weigh-ins on Friday morning. I'm supposed to record this on Thursday night, but it's been it's been crazy. I mean, it's always been crazy. I know, I know, but no, it's legit been. Um, uh, you probably hear my dog in the background chewing bones. So sorry about that. It's Brownie girl. She's back. Um, it's legit been one of the craziest one or two weeks, just work and otherwise. Uh, speaking of work-wise, is another plug if you want to get more kind of betting angles. The podcast I was referencing, the uh, company and, 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 and stuff that I was teasing uh, finally launched there. Line Movement. Uh, line Movement MMA, that's at line underscore movement on Twitter. Uh, line Movement is the uh, YouTube channel where you can find the first episode of the betting show we pretty much go through the whole card um of course you know my man dan levy over there from half the battle they're one of the um, more consistent grinders on the scene for years now as i've said on this podcast before and this is why i've brought him on this podcast before and and uh he's brought me on his well now we have a show together folks kind of merging that so you degenerates will have uh you know some super powered content there um this podcast is staying the same like I said on Twitter, um, and for what it's worth, Dan's podcast is saying the same. So if you like those products uh, by themselves or both or whatever, good news. You, you get everything. Um, we're going to be just incorporating a lot more stuff, like including uh, our colleague over there, James Lynch, who uh, already uh, dropped an interview as we speak for uh, Calvin Cater on uh, next week's main event. Um, you're going to see... Uh, of course, some of James's, James's best interviews, all his interviews are great. He's just great. Um, and we're going to incorporate him into the show as well. But, yeah, we talked a lot of the betting and a lot of the technical detail and, you know, how Max likes to be first and third and what Volkanovsky was doing that and the layers of it. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Um if you want a little more of that talk, and that's kind of the good thing that's going to allow me to bring over, you know, and don't get me wrong, we're st- it's still going to be you know, some hardcore talk on here. This was just a big card, uh, and it was a good excuse to break away, especially with so much other branched-out content. Speaking of line movement, um, I'm going to have a, uh, a betting plays uh, uh, betting plays out. Um, yeah, it should be out, hopefully, by the time this comes out. Um, but it'll be for every card, uh, pretty much. Um, Let's see here as I pull it up. Hey, there we are. Look at that. Yep, linemovement.com. That's really simple. Um, and, yeah, you pull that up there, and then you're going to be able to see my uh, betting plays. I'm going to, you know, give you the parlay pieces I'm looking at, the straight, uh, the best straight play I'm looking at, and the best prop angle. And I'll talk a little bit about those betting angles, both in general and also just, you know, specifics, obviously, to what I'm playing. It's okay, Brownie. You want to be in the podcast, I know. She's so lucky. She's cute, folks. All right. Um, yeah, so it, it was interesting. I, um, uh, like I was saying, Dan, uh, Dan's the man. He, he was, uh, he was, uh, 
very well prepped with his takes. And uh, as as per usual, guys, you guys know I'm honest. If I if I'm not quite researched or not quite sure, I'll be the first to admit it. And there were some of those fights. However, benefits of listening to the Protecting Neck podcast, especially the audio version here, you're going to get those takes. And they actually changed from a lot of my initial leans. So let's start from the top. Um, this one's on the avoid list because I didn't get too much further into it than my initial one, which is Vulcan Ozdemir, minus 150, and Yuri Prokachka, uh, plus 130. Uh, one second. Sorry, the dog... Uh, you have a 70-pound Mastiff that's still a puppy at heart, and she, but she's at the same time, she's smart and can figure out how to open doors. So she just pretty much goes and comes into the rooms as she pleases. It's pretty... <laughs> it's uh, it's just, it's problematic. <laughs> so um, She's becoming a better wrestler, too, which is problematic for her. Not so big brother anymore. Anyways, um, yeah, Yuri and Vulcan. Um... I agree that Vulcan should be favored, man. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, it, it, it's not a fight you should condemn either guy for, but I don't think, um, you know, it was uh, controversial or anything, his win uh, over, over Rakic. Um, especially for MMA standards, right? Uh, but, uh, no, I, I like Vulcan uh, here, but not enough to play him because Yuri, it's funny, even the fights you look like he he's winning, it looks like he's losing for like certain instances of those fights. He's a, he's a wild man. And I think his size is going to be apparent. He already looked to put on weight from the scales to the face-off. Um, so even though he's the bigger guy, cutting more weight, and don't get me wrong, Vulcan's a big guy too who used to fight at heavyweight, so it's not like he's out of sorts. A long-time training partner at heavyweight, Alistair Overeem. That being said, I feel like if you're a live better, there could be an opportunity here for Yuri if Yuri's wildness gets him hurt in the first round and Vulcan Ozdemir goes to put it on him but doesn't and fails. Even if he like gets a 10-8 but like fails to put him out, like I wouldn't hate a sprinkle on a live bet number that's probably going to be pretty potent at plus money for Yuri um, to come back. Uh, because in a dog fight or a prolonged fight, I, I like Yuri more. Um, you know, we, we pandemic era, you know, Volcan looked to fix a lot of his pace management issues or at least adjust it, move in the right direction at the very least. But we're in pandemic era. How is that holding up? How has he been training? Um, I wasn't able to get too many of these answers for either of these guys. So that's going to be on my avoid list, but the pick is Ozdemir. Uh, all right, next fight. Um... This is the one that everyone's interested in, including me. And I came in one way and ended up leaning the other. That's Muslim Salikov, minus 140, and Elise's Lesky Dos Santos, plus 120, who you know we were talking about, hence the final countdown music of the, the segue there. But um, as my dog chases her own tail and bites it. Um, that's, a, that's a metaphor for us gambling on MMA, isn't it? Dog chasing his own tail. Um, yeah. I, I want to bet Zaleski because I like Zaleski. There's not that many dogs to bet. And I think typically, especially from the hardcore perspective, uh, especially if you've got like ground bias like me, it's like, oh, wait, or a veteran bias. Like, oh, wait, the more experienced UFC guy, at least from a UFC perspective, Muslim Salikov, older, plenty of Ushu Sanda experience. Um, but yes, from UFC experience, the more experienced guy with a ground game against a striker who's been proven that he can... There is a pathway there to take him down and submit him. You're going to put the plus number in the more experienced guy. And 
and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. But and then you look at the guys like Zaleski's not been knocked out by like Lyman. Good shout out to Goes. Uh, shout out to jo- Gorgeous Georgian Goes, by the way, man. Um, Gorgeous George all, uh, always giving the uh, the breakdown shouts. And uh, both those guys are just golden uh, human beings. Go follow their content, the Gorgeous jo- uh, Triple G Show on Patreon, um, as well as, of course, MMA Junkie Radio, and they're killing it with a spinning back click. But, uh, yeah, Goes always does the Lyman good and good. Good at knockout Zaleski and Omari Adurka Durka Ahmedov. Uh, couldn't knock him out. In fact, Zaleski stopped him, which was impressive, although that does age well, but you got to think that was a weight thing for uh, Ahmedov. Uh, but then you look at it like Zaleski's still getting rocked, except he's getting rocked harder. And that was kind of like the perfect fight, keeping him at the end of your punches kind of a thing. You know, um, almost a la, you know, not as pretty, of course, but almost a la Calvin Cater, Jeremy Stevens. You know, you got the durable war horse in Zaleski. Uh, you know, and, and against, um, you know, just just a guy with some underrated power and, and, and technique um, to go along with it. And that was uh, Lee. Um, and then, um, you know, it gets kind of tricky when you start trying to dissect that and do the MMA math. But the point is, Zaleski, although it was a... He was a guy who could recover and dogfight and get stronger into the third. You know, guys I like to bet on. You know, and although Solikov is 36, Zaleski's not far behind. He's going to be 34 soon, I think, if not 34 already. And um, could this be a sign of his chin starting to go with that Lee fight? You know, he was able to take the shots okay um, in the fight after that, but he really wasn't swinging any less wider. Um, his combinations, like you can tell he's adjusting his combinations, getting fancy with the way he puts them in and accurate, and they're becoming tighter in itself from a technique perspective. But what he's doing and shifting and single-shotting, he's still playing real high-risk, high-reward games. He can get the knockout, but he's not necessarily outpointing guys in a clear fashion. I know we hear you, Brownie. He's not necessarily outpointing guys in a clear fashion. Everybody knows Tink Tink. He's not outpointing guys in a clear fashion. Um, and he's still giving a lot. He's still swinging super wide. I mean, even a guy like Loriano St- Staropoli, who is, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know if I picked him once, but that doesn't mean I don't respect the guy. He's a lot better than he seems. Um, and props to his durability for surviving with Salikov because his durability and pace was able to answer questions that I worried about Salikov because it's like, okay, well, if Salikov can't get the knockout, maybe he doesn't get submitted. But if Salikov doesn't get the knockout and they strike for three rounds, I think Zaleski cannot point him off pace. You know, we saw Zaleski uh, do that to a low-pace Russian. However, um, Zaleski barely did it to a low-pace Russian who's better than he's given credit for in Konchenko. Um you know, he's not as fancy, but he's really difficult to deal with in those situations. Uh, so even though Zaleski was stalling to his own dismay and not doing himself in any favors in the way that he was stalling, um, you know, part of that credit has to also go to Konchenko. Uh, and that is not Salikov granted, but Salikov, as far as pace goes, proved that he can keep pace uh, when pushed to that. Um, and in fact, they were confident that they could outpace uh, if you listen to the corner work, that they could outpace Staropoli. And then if you listen to the post-fight, their plan coming in 
uh, they knew and they respected his pace and he knew he was going to have to work harder, yet he still made that a part of the game plan. So, you know, even Jose Aldo, who I, I love, but who we speak about, he, he needs pockets of time to recoup as a fighter. That great, that experience, that amazing. Even he has that almost kind of insecurity of like, okay, I don't want to overextend myself, especially as I've gotten older, right? That doesn't seem to affect Salikov as he's getting older. You know, um, he keeps his eyes open. He still takes shots really well. His timing is super impeccable. You know, um, you know, he, 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 you know, hitting guys out of rhythm, out of step before they're set, like doing that whole spiel. Like he's still showing to be able to do that. Uh, the shot that he hit on Nordin Taleb, which was brutal, and counter right hands are Zaleski's common culprit coming forward or off the counter. Um, so, you know, and then you incorporate the spinning stuff, and as much as I respect Capoeira, both Zaleski Dos Santos and the art itself, um, King of Kung Fu, Wushu Sanda, you know, uh, biased aside, you know, I do love that art because it combines the spinning stuff with takedowns, so it inherently um, is more applicable to MMA than Capoeira. Then you incorporate... Zaleski's Capoeira experience and level to Salikov's uh, Wushu Sanda experience and level. And I don't see Zaleski's spin kicks having a lot of play. Um, so essentially, I pretty I think that we could see Salikov is stylistic kryptonite for Zaleski on the feet. Now, that means, according to my logic, that it's sub or bust. And I think that if you're backing Zaleski and playing the sub prop, I think that's very smart. I think that's that's the angle if you want to back the Brazilian here. And my heart's with you, and my heart's with Zaleski. Um, I'm not playing the Salikov side, although it appears people are because that line is growing. And I can see why. Maybe they went back and watched the tape as well. Um, but he's going to have to get the takedown. Now, the good news is not only is Zaleski a black belt under a respectable name, but he trains with respectable wrestlers and has good wrestling when he goes to it. Like, it's actually gotten better. But the problem is, not just the stats, but when you go back and watch the fights, um, and the stats will kind of concur, he's not the most consistent with these attacks, whether he's winning or losing or whether it's crunch time or not. He's not hitting these takedowns or controlling or doing a lot with it outside of, like, the Curtis Melender fight. Um... And if he does that, you know, has Salikov gotten better, you know? Uh, like you heard you, you heard my uh, co-host Dan say, like, he went and got his purple belt uh, since then. Um, by the way, your boy may or may not have been awarded a, a rank and may or may not know what rank that is because <laughs> I was too, too tired to ask and too colorblind. You know what's funny? Actually, I used to, true story, I when I used to award ranks uh, back in karate, I used to always fuck up blue and purple. And, like, I remember this kid was supposed to get a blue belt, and instead I gave him a purple, so he thought he got skipped. He's like, wow, I got skipped. I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry. And I had to, like, take it back, and the kid was heartbroken. I was like, oh, way to go, Dan. You and your colorblind ass, because you can't decipher colors. True story. Sad. I know. Um, but, yeah, you know, Salikov's been working on it, and he's he's training with Zabit and to Khabib's crew. He's got experience. Uh, Zaleski hasn't done the best overseas, whereas... Uh, Salikov has plenty of experience overseas and fighting in Abu Dhabi where he had that knockout aforementioned win. So um, my pick is actually going to be Salikov to knock him out here. 
But I feel like the pathways are so potent, which is why I said there's plenty of value and sense and even support from my end because I love Zaleski if you're playing the sub angle. The point is I'm narrowing down here that regardless of my pick that I ended up swinging and going Salikov, I feel like the pathway to finishing, even though both guys can survive and thrive in a dogfight, um, the pathways to finishing are too potent. Um, and that's not even including if Zaleski does, in fact, can score a rogue knockout or some shit. Either way, the under. Um, I, I don't know if it was originally a dog money. Props to you if you hit it. But even at the line that it's at now, minus 105, that seems to be the safer play or angle amongst a very exciting but contentious fight um, as far as picking or betting. So uh, I feel like that is the ultimate middle ground. That doesn't mean it's going to hit. Nothing is guaranteed in life, much less in MMA, folks. But within the context of this fight, I feel like we're getting a lot of good coverage from this angle, as I explain on the uh, betting article. Yeah, I know. Okay, well, hey, you know, when the dogs um, cry in the podcast and break down podcasts, I always think, Bet the dog. It's a sign. Bet the dog. So maybe Zaleski's going to win with uh, Brownie uh, howling for you guys there. Um, I don't know sure if the dog's going to win on this one. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani minus 210. Although my heart will be with Danny Henry. Plus 275. It's not exactly the sick boy method. But, you know. Uh, Makwan, who I'm seeing tweets about something about fellatio during a podcast i don't know the guy keeps adding to his weird legend uh, if you want to call it that um i actually was a mach one fan it made me some money off that flying knee over andy the little axe ogle back in the day yeah yeah i know you like the dog money too um but it's hard with amir Khani with the gassing you know it's like he shows he does takes a camp off to just work on his boxing show some good things but it's like then if he gasses, Danny Henry going to take over. Um, I'm going to pick Makwan. I want to see him do well. I really do. But I am no way in hell playing Makwan Americana here. Don't mind anybody sprinkling Danny Henry. This is another live betting opportunity. If Makwan comes close to finishing, um, has, he has to wrestle very hard. Maybe he hurts him, gets some strikes off, goes for the takedown, uh, wraps his arms around a choke but doesn't get it and like gasses his arms out. You know, there could be a live betting opportunity on Danny Henry. But uh, the pick here is Makwan Amirakani. Uh, hopefully Brownie is not pissing all over the floor in the next room. There she is crying. Hold on one second. Gosh, darn it. And she's not. She's just going to keep crying. This has been a week, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. This is just my week. Taking care of dogs and handicapped adults uh, alone is like a full-time job. And, like, five... Article, three different sources, five different podcasts or radio spots. I'm beat. Your boy is beat. Um, eh, yeah, okay, where the fuck was I? Jesus. Let's get through this. Uh, Leonardo Santos minus 175, Roman Bagatov uh, plus 155. Picking Santos here, who makes his like, yearly appearance. It's weird. Um, when's he going to fall off the cliff? When's his jujitsu going to be outdated? It has not been yet. And then he'll still pull off random things like, you know, TKO and Kevin Lee. Um, or at least rocking him with the punch, right? I can't remember. Did he finish him with the choke? Either way. Um, that, you know, Bogotov's a good uh, grappler as well. But, you know, look at the submissions that he gets. Um, the region where he fights out of. Uh, I didn't get to watch tape on him, but I'm guessing he's a top guy. Is he going to get that top position or want that top position on Santos? 
uh, who's long and lanky and can work from the guard, but the guard's going to be the first thing to go as far as grappling. You know, last thing to go is power and boxing. First thing to go is grappling, man. I tell you, from me to others who used to went into grappling and jiu-jitsu, just making their money off triangles, and now, um, and now, uh, you know, as you get older, you just you get away from that. Knee injuries or other things. So who knows? Bogotov could be live, but it's on my avoid list because I did not uh, immediately study or have interest in betting that fight, um, given the sample size of Santos. Uh, next fight, uh, Marcin Tibura, minus 115, uh, minus 105 on Max and Grishin, who was an underdog. Congrats if you got him. I, I, I really should have hit him. Uh, as a straight fade on Tabora, who's just been looking in more and more terrible shape. But he looked in little less terrible shape the last time out. And then according to the pictures that I've seen, it's really difficult to tell. It's very limited. It's pandemic era, folks. But Tabora might be getting himself back into weight. Now, will that translate? Will he finally start showing the back takes that he did on the regional scene that I felt like I would always say for every breakdown, but it never really applied to any of his fights, minus Derek Lewis, who Bates, you would have taken his back so he can pound you out. Um, you know, so, you know, uh, I like Max and Grishin here. I may still just play him at minus 105, even though I didn't get him a dog money. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to go back there or not. Uh... Grishin, though, he does not do well against southpaws. And even though Marcin Taboras switched to southpaw stance, it's primarily a lot of window dressing. He actually does throw a nice left kick off the lead side from the orthodox stance. Like many Eastern European or Russian kickboxers, they work well off the lead side. Tibora is the same. And Max and Grishin, although he will switch stances as well, he tends to... <clears throat> favor dipping and crouching to that right side in the orthodox stance, which means those head kicks are kind of always there for him to get hit with in the eyes and the head, as you've seen in past fights. So as long as he navigates that, I think his speed and athleticism and his movement's going to outdo Tabora, who does move deceptively well for a heavyweight or a bellied heavyweight. Um, I don't think Tabora is going to... I mean, I do worry if he's able to take him down and control him. Uh, especially if his gas tank is better, if he's in better shape. But in general, especially from what we've seen, he's kind of underwhelmed with his ground game and not been as good as I thought. Um, so we'll see if uh, I can Maxim Grishin, uh, Team Ahmad over there, huh? Looks like uh, he looks like going to Karadoff's number one guys or something like a Karadoff's Ken doll over there. Um, but yeah, we'll see the hand-to-hand -hand combat, Max and Grishin. Um, if his uh, ground game uh, and scrambling has improved at all. But I think it's good enough to keep him out of trouble. And I think he can um, knock Tabor out on the feet. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, round one or round two knockout. But the uglier it gets, the better for Tabora, which is, I guess, why he's favored. Um, more UFC experience, too. But just underwhelming for the most part. So uh, I'm probably going to play Maxim Grishin. I haven't yet. Next fight, Holly and Paiva, minus 175. Uh, Zaglas Zumagulov, plus 155. Um, didn't think too highly of Zumagulov's resume, even looking at it. Went back to watch the fights, and he's a deceptive guy. Um, I, I'm actually, full disclosure, I'm going to explain the play why I'm actually taking Paiva. 
He went down to minus 165 when I played him, but now he inflated back to 170 when I did my article. And since then, inflated further, uh, now at minus 175. Um, it's not the most sexiest point of entry, but it is a point of entry in regards to both point of entries in general when looking to play straight plays on favorites or in comparison to this card with somewhat stacked favorites that maybe shouldn't be stacked like we said with Makwan or you know there's other kind of deceptively dangerous fights like even Jan right um but uh but yeah um but I, a I like Paiva and but, you know, B, let me just say, you know, Zuma Gulov, there's a lot of good about him. I, I kind of went hard on him in the paint. I wasn't impressed. You know, it looks like the Mongolian Jim Norton. But the but the Kazakh dude can scrap, man. He's scrappy as hell. Um, he looks like he's got deceptive power. He's durable as all hell and has got a crazy gas tank. I was watching, like, his workout regimen on Instagram. Like, this dude is just an animal. Like, he's he's got that, like, Diego Sanchez-like kind of vibes to him in a sense. Except he actually strikes a bit better. Um, he moves his feet and shuffles it weird. He borderline crosses it and brings them narrowly together. But aside from that, there is some deceptively smart things he's doing on the feet. He does have a feel for what he's doing. I just feel like that lead hand pawing that he does uh, from either stance, even though he's got deceptively long arms, he's ultimately not the tallest flyweight against a taller and longer flyweight. And Paiva, who granted didn't make weight, and even though... They're not doing as great as 2019 people who didn't make weight. Uh, it still doesn't worry me or scare me off the play. Um, because, you know, Paiva's big for the weight class. And, and um, you know, everyone's dealing with restrictions different. He was getting training, but it was restricted training back in March, according to his social medias. But Zuma Gulov doesn't look like he's had restricted training. He's just kind of like this animal that goes forward. Um, he looks like he thrives in five-round fights, which is no surprise he's done well lately. That being said... Uh, I scored the first three rounds for Bagai Utinov. Not trying to die on that hill, but there's an argument that he didn't even win that fight against Ali Bagai Utinov. And even when he beat his brother um, with his crazy like spinning elbow that just barely nicked his chin, but it was enough to like spark him off after already being kind of hurt previously. Um, that was a huge upset too, along with the Nam fight. Although it makes sense, right? If this guy's durable and he has got volume, like that's kind of. I love Tyson Nam, but that's kind of the, the the key things you need to beat him. You got to be durable, and you got to just outwork him because he's going to put a lower volume out. Um, and those are his best wins, uh, not just name value, but also quality. Um, you know, there was a there, the Arton guy who he couldn't get past. Um, there's some deceptively tough talent. I'm not trying to discredit or overlook any of those. Um, and even the TKO, I believe it was like a shoulder injury or whatever. Like, this guy keeps coming. But the problem is, is that, like, for a dude who seems to have some decent grappling and a background and base with, uh, or at least training base with a lot of grapplers, you know, um, and he's not, like, out of sorts. Like, you could tell he clearly, obviously gets wrestling. But he's just one of those dudes, like, he's like Bob Ross or something where he's got to be taken down a bunch before he starts grappling with you. And he's always giving up takedowns. It's not good. Um, hi, Brownie. Okay, I see you. Yes, you got your bone. Okay, I see. Uh, oh, well, I love you too. Okay, thanks for the kisses. Um, the fuck was I saying? Uh, but that's not going to be good against Paiva, who is not just a uh, now a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but like legit... It reminds me of Charles Oliveira. Like, even when Charles Oliveira was a purple belt, he was super legit purple belt. He was competing. 
and whatnot. And so is Paiva. He's one of those dudes who actually compete, puts the gi in and out of the gi. Um, goes and trains over at Team Alpha Male, although he didn't for this camp. And he's a guy who uses his length. He doesn't just headhunt. Um, he'll, he will jab, but he won't just headhunt. He'll go to the body. He'll go to the legs. And I think body is going to be deceptively effective. You know, when guys are super durable to the chin, there's probably a good chance, there's a better chance they're softer to the body than, they're, than, than they keep hacking away at the chin when so many others have failed, right? Especially if it's a guy with a gas tank like uh, Zuma Gulov. It's not going to hurt to go to the body. So um, I really like that here. I don't think Zuma Gulov defends those or much of anything well. Uh, Zuma Gulov, like Paiva, so I, it's kind of a wash as far as advantages. Both these guys cut very easily, um, which can be a worry. Uh, but they are both willing to fight through it um, so long as the doctors will let them. So uh, I'm actually going to take Paiva here and play them if it's a three-round fight. I think Zuma Gulov's going to hang tough the whole time. It's going to be you know scrambles, but Zuma Gulov I think is either going to open himself himself up to a submission, his neck from the guillotine, or he's going to get beat pretty handily for two out of the three rounds, possibly three. So I played Paiva at 1.75 units. Um, Rosa and Melo's on the avoid list. I didn't watch tape. I guess I'll take Rosa. There you go. Um, and uh, Grant and Day isn't on the avoid list. I was actually looking to play Day. Grant seems like he's a popular underdog. And you know I love Davey Grant there. Davey Grant's got some creepy skills eh, with his long shin bones. All right, Dan, let's not creep out your audience uh, with the Davey Grant impression. But uh, I know I like Davey Grant. I was looking to play him as a dog initially coming in. But there's too many unknowns with Martin Day. And even though Martin Day is deceptively older and he could be a guy that just doesn't ever puts it together, there are things that do have me and many hoping, which is probably why he has the minus number next to his name on why he is favorite. Because he has he does show a lot of skills, you know. You could see a, a little bit of a Max Holloway esque, even though he likes to counter much more than a volume approach, but with his front chokes, his long uh, his decent takedown defense, long frame, etc. But we'll make some questionable choices and we'll be in certain ground positions that don't look great. So how much has he improved? He's had camps with Max Holloway for, I believe, three fights that have fallen out now. Um, whereas Davey Grant, you know, he's already come back, failed, and come back and been successful from long stints off in the octagon. Uh, that being said, I do suspect Martin Day gets his first win here. Um I don't think Davy Grant has the power or uh, to like Ping Wong. Ping Wong, say what you want about him, man. He's got, you know, those Chinese vitamins and that Chinese athleticism. You know what I'm saying? Let's just leave it at that. I'm half Chinese, not Hayden. Just saying. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not that surprised that he caught a, a counter again. That's more toward Day's questionable um, decision making, which is what scares me. With him, um, his line keeps fluctuating back down to minus 165. If it gets under minus 150, I'll take a shot on day, but I'm not liking it either way. Good luck if he took the shot on the dog, which seems to be popular. Davey Grant, I'm your dog then. I'll be your dirty dog. All right, easy, Dan. Uh, uh, but good luck on that. But I'm, I'm going to take um, Martin Martin Day. Um, all right, recapping, uh, recapping picks and plays from... From the top here, folks. Um, taking Kamaro Usman over George Masvidal. Again, MMA junkie for the in-depth breakdown. Line movement MMA. 
uh, if you want more betting talk on that fight. Same with Alexander Volkanovsky, who's actually going to be my parlay, recommended parlay piece for um, my favorite lines article um, at linemovement.com over Max Holloway. Never thought I'd say that. I mean, Max Holloway versus Charles Oliveira, the first breakdown on MixedMartialAnalyst.com, have not picked against Max Holloway since until this day. So it's very scary. Maybe I'm just uh, sadness hedging as the, the old, uh, I don't know if it's, he uses it in the same way, but I want to give Phil McKenzie from Heavy Hands credit for that term. Um, speaking of analysts, I respect shouts to Ryan Wagner from the fight site uh, for the top five Matt wrestlers. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Pete, taking Peter Yan, speaking of the fight site, one of their favorites, taking Peter Yan over another one of their favorites, Jose Aldo's. We're all going to collectively cry no matter what the outcome is. Maybe not because if Jose wins, Peter is still young enough to bounce back. But I am taking Peter Yan there. I think he gets a TKO. The others do it by decision, although it could get real ugly, like I said, with that Max Holloway one. I think Peter Yan's uh, building um, body work and uppercuts and work from the southpaw stance, particularly left hands. It's going to get Aldo out of there by the end of round three, taking Rose Namajunas over Andrade, but not betting it. Value's on either side, but it's just hard to pay against Rose. Um, and that was great. Another reason why it was great to have Fernanda, you know, insight into the training um, and reaffirming even suspicions and prior work that, uh, that, that I suspected. So that was... That was some fantastic stuff. Again, big thanks to uh, Fernando Prates. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. That was a real treat to have a, have, have a, have a guest uh, for the main card. Uh, taking Amanda Hibas over Paige Van Zant. Uh, pretty self-explanatory there. I even get a little more into that uh, as I contributed to... Shout out to Dan Stupp uh, over there on one of the articles for one of the outlets that he works for. Dan is the man. Uh, taking Vulcan Uzdemir over Yuri Prokachka, but there could be a live betting opportunity on Yuri if this gets wild and Volkan exerts a lot and fails to finish in the first. Taking Muslim Salikov over Zaleski Dos Santos. The hearts with Zaleski. Good luck to you if you're betting him. Um, but y'all know uh, the angle that I'm going to be taking is the under, which I'll recap in a second. Taking Makwan Amirkani over Dani Henry. It's not exactly the sec boy method. Not sure why I tied in a train spotting quote to it, but yeah, taking Mac one. Um taking Leonardo Santos over Roman Bogotov. Don't know, not much more to say on that one. Taking Maxim Grishin. Karidov Kendall over Marcin Tibura. Taking Haulian Paiva over Zalgas Zmogulov. Mongolian Jim Norton. Taking Carol Rosa over Vanessa Mello. Taking Martin Day over Davy Grant. Um, par- parlay pieces of Volkanovsky. Parlay them with Usman. You can get near even or maybe just plus money. Uh, you can be senselessly greedy to ensure some plus money, I guess, by tacking on um, Amanda Hebos there. Straight plays taking Paiva at minus 170 for point one seven five. Going to pull the trigger on Grisha. Not sure how much at minus 105 will be nice if he goes back to plus money. Props, the only prop play I'm taking is Zaleski Salkoff under 2.5 rounds, minus 105 for one unit. On the avoid list, Ooze versus Yuri, Melo versus Rosa, and Santos versus uh, Bogotov, as I have him written as Bogota. 
So uh, thank you guys for joining me. Apologies for the delayed episode. Hopefully there's at least 24 hours of listen time before UFC 251 kicks off. Don't worry. This podcast isn't going anywhere. Uh, but that me- that being said, be sure to follow line at line underscore movement, linemovement.com. Everyone on the Line Movement MMA team, Dan Levy, James Lynch, everyone behind the scenes, Jordan, Nick, Mr. Holka, uh, and everybody else who I'm forgetting. It was great. Thank you, Fernanda, for coming on the main card. Thank you, Ryan Wagner, everyone at the Fright Site, for your support, coming on for the Top 5 show. Uh, shouts to my dude, Damn Stup. Shouts to Aiden at SB Nation Radio for having me on again. Most importantly, thank all of you listeners for giving me the uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. Thank you very much. Visiting MixedMartialAnalyst.com, which hosts this here show, which you can listen to on smartphone-friendly players. If you want to support the show there for free, just do your Amazon or Onnit shopping for no extra charge. You just click through the banners at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. A little bit comes back to me, or just use the PayPal donation link if you'd like to donate to the podcast straight up. Clearly, I'm putting all the money and support back into the show, into good use. Thank you so much. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Daniel Tom MMA. Give this video a like and subscribe to the channel. It's a big help. Sharing and spreading the word is easy and free and the biggest help. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck on your picks and plays this weekend. And always protect your neck.